I don't have to tell you things are bad. Everybody knows things are bad. It's a depression. Everybody's out of work or scared of losing their job. The dollar buys a nickel's worth. Banks are going bust. Shopkeepers keep a gun under the counter. Punks are running wild in the street. There's nobody anywhere who seems to know what to do, and there's no end to it. We know the air is unfit to breathe, and our food is unfit to eat. We sit watching our TVs while some local newscaster tells us that today we had 15 homicides and 63 violent crimes, as if that's the way it's supposed to be. We know things are bad, worse than bad. They're crazy. It's like everything everywhere is going crazy, so we don't go out anymore. We sit in the house, and slowly the world we're living in is getting smaller, and all we say is, please, at least leave us alone in our living rooms. Let me have my toaster and my TV and my steel-belted radios, and I won't say anything. Just leave us alone. Well, I'm not going to leave you alone. I want you to get mad. I don't want you to protest. I don't want you to write. I don't want you to write to your congressman because I wouldn't know what to tell you to write. I don't know what to do about the depression and the inflation and the Russians and the crime in the street. All I know is that first, you've got to get mad. You've got to say, I'm a human being. God damn it. My life has value. I want you to get up now. I want all of you to get up out of your chairs. I want you to get up right now and go to the window, open it, and stick your head out and yell, I'm as mad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore. I want you to get up right now. Get up, go to your windows, open them, and stick your head out and yell, I'm as mad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore. Things have got to change. How many stations does this You've go out? You've got to get mad. I know it goes to Louisville and Atlanta. Well, they're not going to take this anymore. Then we'll figure out what to do about the depression and the inflation and the oil crisis. But first, get up out of your chair, open the window, stick your head out and yell, and say, I'm as mad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore. Who are you Seconds after the hour of 11 in this the month of September in the year of our Lord 2008. Thank you for coming along and making it part of your listening day. Where would the Oscar telecast be without that speech? Because every every year at the Oscars they do that thing about why do we care about films? And they do the 75 years of Hollywood spectacular, whatever. It's just a big montage, and then they always go to that, followed by uh, by Al Pacino yelling Attica, dog day afternoon. Excellent. Oh, and then uh, and then Michael Douglas doing the greed is good speech. So we did the patent speech on Friday. Uh, every day this week we're going to uh, kick off the show with a uh, with a famous movie speech, monologue, tirade, lecture, what have you. So I don't know what we're going to do tomorrow, but that was uh, Peter Finch uh, from Network, one of the finest films ever made. All right, five zero three seven three three two nine seventy. Why, hello. It is uh, Monday, and welcome to day twelve. We are here in beautiful downtown Portland, Oregon. This, my friends, is the Rick Emerson Radio Program. Thank you for joining us today. 
It's uh, 503-733-2970. 503-733-2970. You'd like to join us with your comments, questions, clarifications, kvetches, recipes, kvetches, two cents, whatever it is you might have, odds, ends, observations about my microphone stand and why I can't quite get it into position. All right, there we go. It's 503-733-2970. Richard Bristol standing by, ready, willing, and able to pass along your observations about the interesting, the groundbreaking, the tedious, uh, or the mundane. Richie Bristol, who has a job audition later on today. We're not going to say exactly where. Do you guys know where? I do, yes. I Sarah? do, too. All right, so we won't reveal it, but later on we'll have... Uh, We'll play 20 questions with the audience to see if you can guess what job Richie's auditioning for uh, later on this evening. It's 503-733-2970. You want to email, you can do that as well. It's rick at uh, rickemerson.com. Rick at rickemerson.com. Tim at 970.am. Sarah at 970.am. Or Richie with a T at 970.am. By the way, that Peter Finch uh, speech from Network right there, I do believe that he's the only actor ever to win an Academy Award posthumously. And there's a lot of discussion about whether Heath Ledger's going to get nominated this year and, you know, if he gets nominated and whether or not he'll win. Uh, but as it stands right now, he's the only guy to ever win that thing after being dead. So, hey, here's a great thing, by the way, about that network speech is that, and in fact, didn't he die of a heart attack? Yes, I believe so. I wonder if Sidney Lumet killed him. It was probably making the movie that killed him. Um, but I think if you, if you watch that I'm as mad as hell speech, I do believe that's all one take, and I think it was the first take because I think he wasn't able to do it twice. I think he did that whole speech once, and then Lumet, you know, reset the stage, and he's like, all right, you know, Peter, let's do the whole thing again. And I think he got about 15 seconds into the second take, and he just couldn't do it. He was just exhausted. And apparently, in retrospect, now, I had a bit of a heart condition. So I do think that that was the first take and the only take they did on that speech. Now, a little fine little fun fact about Network. Uh, the role of Howard Beale was originally supposed to go to uh, Henry Fonda, who turned it down because he found it uh, hysterical and unbelievable. So there you go. All right. It is uh, Monday. Thank you for coming by. Here's what's happening on today's program. Uh, we'll talk to CNN Radio correspondent Steve Kastenbaum. He'll be joining us today from New York City. It's a talk... story. Well, it's a whole series of bummer stories, Sarah. Uh, so I guess so. There's I guess McCain and Obama are both going there. I guess it's not today, but it's Thursday because 9/11. Uh, so that's uh, coming up later on this week, but also they're closing uh, Coney Island, or they've closed Coney Island? I guess they closed it already. Coney Island's Astroland uh, closed its doors yesterday. So, anyway, so we'll talk about that. Uh, at least you got to see before it closed. And see, I never did. Mm. Uh, to me, it's only a thing that exists in Spike Lee films. I never even really got to go. So It was pretty neat, because I'd seen it you know, the year before, but it was off-season. So I saw it, but everything was closed and everything. Well, wait a minute. When they say they're closing Coney Island... They're closing Astroland, but um, two, there are two landmarks, so the Wonder Wheel and um, the Cyclone are um, protected right. New York landmarks, so those will still be there, but the Astroland's like all the, the games and stuff. Now, are they going to be, uh, this doesn't affect Nathan's, though, does it? Nathan's famous hot dogs? I think so. So, wait, what is Astroland? Astroland is, is like the, the amusement park. Okay. Basically, minus the Wonder Wheel and yeah. uh, the Cyclone. It's all very confusing. All right, well, that's. So that means like the, the freak show and everything, it's all gone. And you know, and you do have to wonder sort of what it's like when they come to evict the freak show. Um, you just picture like in your head some sort of Tim Burton film where there's like the bearded lady like boxing everything yeah, up. Like and, I was supposed to come on our show and then I never heard back from him. And oh, now I know why. Lobster guy kind of using his elbows to pack his Samsonite. Uh, all right. Well, in any event, we'll talk to Steve Kastenbaum about that later on. Bob Costantini uh, will join us from the Hill. Coming up later on today, we'll have today's top five top five Jane songs. Uh, top five songs written about Jane. We will play 20 questions uh, to find out exactly where Richie Bristol's auditioning for uh, a supplemental, an ancillary, an outside job. 
Another place of employment uh, coming up this evening. So we'll talk about that today. We'll be giving away a pair of Dennis Miller tickets. Uh, his show coming up live this Friday and Saturday at Spirit Mountain Casino. Today we'll be giving away a pair of tickets to his Saturday night show. We'll be playing Saturday Night Live trivia uh, for that. Because he'll be live at Saturday night. Uh, so that's coming up this Saturday at Spirit Mountain Casino. Tickets on sale now. We'll be giving away a pair of tickets uh, later on today with Saturday Night Live trivia, ladies and gentlemen. What else? I think we're going to talk to Peter Carlin, but I'm not entirely sure about that. Oh, and don't forget, the irony is that I've forgotten the copy point. Wait, here we go. Don't forget, uh, all this week, every single day, one random on-air caller each day wins a copy of The Bodyguard Double Feature, The Bodyguard and The Bodyguard 2 uh, on DVD. The Bodyguard and Bodyguard 2 starring Tony Jaa on DVD in stores now separately or as a double feature from Magnolia. Home Entertainment. So that's one random on-air caller today. Uh, What's that? Uh, we've got the news stories to get to. Britney Watch coming up today. Geek Watch coming up today. A Bush Watch. We haven't had one of those in a while just because I think we've all kind of forgotten he existed. Uh, but we'll get to that today. Bush Watch coming up. Uh, let's see. We'll do... Uh, we read the Inquirer so you don't have to. And let me just read this to you. Then we'll uh, talk to Tim Riley who's preparing news for us. Then we'll talk to Sarah. Then we'll do some other stuff. I'm just going to... Start the weekend today off right with this. This is from the Fresno Bee. A burglar who broke into a home just east of Fresno rubbed spices all over the body of one of the two men as they slept in their rooms and then beat the other man senseless with, quote, an eight-inch sausage, Fresno County Sheriff's deputy said on Saturday. Lieutenant Ian Berman described the crime as one of the strangest he'd ever heard of and said the suspect was found, uh, found hiding in a nearby field a few minutes later. Deputies, he said, had no problem linking the suspect to the crime. He ran out of the house wearing only a T-shirt, boxer shorts, and socks, leaving behind his wallet and ID. The victims, both farm workers, told deputies they were awakened by a stranger, quoting now from the Fresno Bee, a stranger applying spices to one of them and striking the other with a sausage. All right. Ladies and gentlemen, Tim Riley working on the following stories for your edification. Three people are scalded at Austin Hot Springs in Clackamas County. A mystery deposit makes an Oregon couple $300,000 richer. Destructive, smelly elk raise havoc in Longview. Keith Olbermann and Chris Matthews will no longer anchor NBC election coverage. David Gregory will uh, take the job. John McCain's people still aren't ready to allow Sarah Palin to be interviewed by the media. And Gary Coleman hits a pedestrian with his truck following a bowling alley argument in Utah. Fantastic. Uh, let's see. Uh, all that whole bunch of other stuff coming up. Uh, we'll talk to uh, Steve. We'll talk to uh, Bob Costantini. We'll talk to... Oh, Jim Roop is in. I forgot to mention this. So Jim Roop is in... Uh, he's in Las Vegas, I think, as of now. So I think the... Um, so I think the OJ thing starts today. And they started with a pool of potential jurors. 500 already down to 248. I mean, you talk about a guy who's just... You're never, ever, ever, ever going to be able to find a jury pool that hadn't heard of that guy and already come to at least 15 different conclusions about him. So... But the armed robbery kidnapping trial of Orenthal James Simpson uh, begins today. So I will be watching that with uh, a great deal of interest. Uh, apparently, by the way, the Coney Island thing only affects the rides. Nathan's and most everything else are not within Astroland. 
But they do believe, apparently, that it's the first strike of a larger foreclosure that sort of might spread out over the whole area. So, uh, we're joined today, as always, by the lovely and talented Sarah Stillen. Hello, how are you? Hello. Resplendent in your Prince in the Revolution purple rain shirt. It's true, it's true. I'm doing, I'm doing fabulously. I had a great weekend, went to like 16 different shows. Excellent, because it was Music Fest Northwest, which I forgot all about. Yeah, yeah, yeah so Saturday was just spent bouncing on. I saw this band, uh, Less Savvy Fab. At the Wonder Ballroom, then went over to the Roseland and saw uh, Bitchin' Summer, Hot Water Music, and... Bitchin' Summer. Yeah, this, this is actually my, my buddy's band. Excellent. Bitchin' Summer. And then I uh, went and saw this band, Seaweed, who reunited for um, like the first time in seven years at Dante's, so that was cool. And, and I had a lot of friends who were really huge into them, so it was like a big nostalgia show. Well, all right, then. So it's all music all the time. Yes. I uh, did what nothing. What did you do? I did nothing. I completely forgot that Music Fest Northwest was happening. Also, I fell asleep too early to go to the... I fell asleep and didn't go to the midnight movie. So I did a whole lot of... Uh, I did a whole lot of Jack Squat this weekend. That's what I did. Let's see. What did I... Uh, it, I sat around my house and I watched a whole bunch of crap and then I came here yesterday and worked and then went home and watched more crap because I'm because I'm a firecracker is what I am. Okay, what I, I also I also watch a lot of crap. I kind of became obsessed with the crappiest show in the world, The Hills. Oh yeah, I don't. I watch watched that. hours of that. This no, there's week. no reason to watch. That. I know. I don't know why. I feel. I, I feel dirty. That's gonna make your brain spongy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you don't want to. You want to have any part of that? It's a bad idea. I will say this, Tim Riley. Have you seen last night's Mad Men? I did. Yeah. All right. So let me just talk about Mad Men last night for a second. First of all, they're on a real solid roll with that program. They got like three weeks in a row where every episode, I think, at least while I'm watching it, it's the best episode I've ever seen. Yes. And I mean, the two weeks ago or whatever it was, three weeks ago, whenever there was the new girl episode with the car crash mm-hmm. and where Don rolls the car and then Peggy has to come to the, uh, to, the, to the jailhouse and sort of bail him out or whatever. And that whole relationship between Don Draper and Peggy is just all kinds of weird and great and layered and textured and nuanced. I mean, it really is fantastic. And then there was... Last week's episode, not last night's, but last week's episode, which was equally great. Uh, and then you get to last night, and I just made this little note to myself about Mad Men last night. Uh, let's see, wait, Mad Men. This is, I wrote this down. Uh, I was watching it at the 11 o'clock hour. I wrote this down last night around 11.25. I said, Mad Men, I keep cringing, gasping, and exhaling all throughout this show. And I have, because there were, if you haven't seen last night's episode of Mad Men or you don't want to hear about it, you want to have anything sort of spoiled, this is the time where you turn the radio down for like 60, 75, 80 seconds, something like that. But that, that moment when, what's his name, um, um, Jimmy Barrett, the comedian, is sitting on the couch with Don Draper's wife at the party, mm-hmm. and he looks over at Don Draper with his wife, Bobby, and he says, so, what do you think happened between the two of them? And I actually literally kind of went, <gasps> I did a sort of Mick Ribbis back, gasped myself last night. And there's that whole sequence at the end where there's the four of them standing there in the room talking to each other. I mean, it was just so uniquely uncomfortable. Yeah. And then that long, ad, and then there's that car ride home where she's not talking to him and Don's not talking to her. And then she just hurls out of nowhere. And then they go to, and then they go to black. It's like the best ending. I mean, in a brand new car. Oh, and they spend the entire episode with Don having his brand new Cadillac that he bought because he's moving up in the world and he's going to become a player at the advertising agency. And, uh, and then they go to the party and it gets revealed that he was like bonking that woman. And so there's just the longest, most tense car ride in the history of the world happening at the end of the episode. And it's Don Draper sitting in the driver's seat, his wife in the passenger seat, driving home, no music, no sound, no score, no nothing. Uh, not touching each other at all, as far from each other as they can possibly get in the front of the car. And then out of the blue, she just goes, Bleh! and just perks all over the inside of his brand new Cadillac. And then they just cut to the closing credits. And it's like some and it's like some Frankie Lyman song over the head. It was just so great. I mean, that Matthew Weiner guy, man, he's a real bastard. Yeah. Where he just reaches in and grabs you. and then, You know what Mad Men is? Mad Men is sort of like... Uh, 
The Sopranos, and it's sort of like Buffy the Vampire Slayer, and it's sort of like um, uh, a little bit like Gilmore Girls, too, in that regard, or maybe The West Wing. It's sort of a screw-you-for-caring kind of a show, and Freaks and Geeks was the same way, where they spend about 45 minutes of an episode, or maybe two-thirds of a season, pulling you in and earning your trust, and then they abuse it, and then they just punch you right in the soul, and they do something horrible to you. So, uh, what a what a, and how evil is that Joan Holloway secretary? Yeah. That office? Yep. Jesus. She better and better every week. And what a C she is. I is mean, she the curvy like redheaded oh, one? Yeah, it's just as hot as hot can possibly be. But boy, God, what a what just what a what a what an awful whore of a woman. Just really, just just what an absolute. Just what a black-hearted person she is. She knows how to control that office. She really does. But did you catch the thing at the end when she? She, it is expressed to her in no uncertain terms that she has been passed over by Roger Sterling and she is no longer Roger's favorite playmate because mm-hmm. uh, he's moved on to the new meet. And there's that look on her face. And I don't know whether they did this intentionally because, you know, she's in her 30s, I think, that actress. Uh, there's that thing where they, they kind of made her look a little old at that moment when she's talking to the new secretary. And the new secretary who has been fired and then Roger gave her the job back. And Joan comes up and says, what on God's green earth do you think you're doing here? And she reveals that the head of the agency gave her the job back. And they, they do that long shot of Joan's face. And they did really make her look a little uh, a little aged there, as though to underscore the fact that she is no longer the... Uh, She's no longer the favorite plaything around the office. So, yeah, it's just, just great and just awkward and terrible. Um, all right, well, let's, uh, we'll do some calls. We've got some other stuff uh, to talk about and uh, so forth. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Radio Program. Hello. Hello, Rick. Sarah, Tim. Hello. 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 I'd like to uh, propose a new bit for the Rick Emerson Show. Yes. Uh, perhaps it could be titled, Do You Grok Rick Emerson? Uh, listeners could call in and they could, uh, about anything at all, and, and make a guess as to whether you hate or like that thing. For example, I would guess that you you hate the term mompreneur and also the expression, we are pregnant. Or conversely, I think that you probably would be fascinated by a short film about the making of leather or uh, modern marvels all about copper and the history and uses thereof. Am I right or am I right or am I right? Who was paying attention to this call? <laughs> not me. I guess I do not grok you well enough, Rick. Right, thank you. And so you think grok? And the pupil becomes the teacher. Yeah. What is grok? Uh, it's a phrase from a Robert Heinlein novel. It means to understand or to get. Uh-huh. It is from the book Stranger in a Strange Land, uh, I believe. Uh, Robert Heinlein, who was most notable for writing, well, now anyway, for writing the book that became the movie Starship Troopers. Blah, blah, blah. Thus and so. Uh, all right, let me get a couple of these emails, and then we'll and then we'll move forward. Oh, by the way, so speaking of Don Draper, you know, because he's got the great, they had that great sequence last week where he was shaving, and he's looking at the mirror, and he's doing the long shave in front of the sink. Let me ask you this. And, Tim, you're a homeowner. I mean, you have a townhouse or whatever it is that you built, not with your own two hands, but more or less, you know, to order from scratch. Yes. Is it possible that at some place in this city, there is a sink that does not clog up with whiskers, like about every 10 days or so. Does your sink... Well, you don't have to shave, though. Not that much. So I'm asking the wrong person. Yeah, more than likely. Sarah... If Sarah we, doesn't shave. Well, no, but Sarah has to shave her legs and, uh, the, and your underarms and so forth. Yes. Now, you do that in the shower, I would imagine. Yeah, but sometimes if, it, if it's a quick one, you do the sink. Does your, does your drain clog up? Yeah. Now, see, what do you well, do I have, about I have it? an older house. I, I, I usually buy it. I can think of Drano like once every couple of weeks. But see, that's my thing, too. Do you re- and Drano's expensive. I mean, it's, it's, it's a product. Like, yeah, it's like six. I, I, I could just call my landlord, but I just would rather just deal with it. I mean, I was thinking about this. You didn't realize I go through a couple hundred dollars worth of Drano every year because I sit there and I shave in the bathroom right into the sink. And then you got that, you know, and then you have the, the water running or you, you, know, you run the water afterward to rinse out the razor. And then you come back later and the water's still just sitting there. It's just sort of stagnant. And then you ask yourself, what am I doing wrong? 
Like, it's not that I have some weird, bizarre, mutant kind of whiskers. And it's not like I'm using some, some shave cream that's, you know, that's not meant for that purpose. I mean, I'm using just a regular, like, uh, you know, whatever it is. You know, like, you whip it up the brush, you put it in your face, you shave off the whiskers, uh, you run the water, and then, but then the thing clogs. So my, I don't really have any point to this line of questioning, except to wonder if there's something I can be doing that will result in the sink not clogging up every two weeks. Because as Sarah pointed out, and see, you don't have this problem, Tim, because A, you're probably living some weird house of tomorrow where you got some android that comes out and shaves you, and then the whiskers just get incinerated into pink-smelling goodness. I shave my own face. So you got that. <laughs> uh, and then also, it, I would say that you are not a, you're not a man with prominent facial hair. No. How that is true. If, now, if, if I can ask this question, do you have to shave every day? I don't know, but I do anyway, just to look neat and tidy. <laughs> just to get your Ken Crossgrove on? Yeah. Um, so, in any event, I mean, there's really no point in me even talking about it, except that I wonder, I think that A, this is relatable, and B, I think this is what an old consultant of mine would call an everyday frustration. Because I sit there and I shave and then I come back and, th and then you do that thing of like if you're brushing your teeth or whatever and the sink is all clogged and I'm going to drain. And then you've got whiskers and like shave lotion and then whatever grime and detritus was already in the sink. And then if you're me, you've got like toothpaste because without really checking, you brush your teeth and you go and you spit. And then the sink is just full of crap. And then it's just got this weird silty muck going on in the sink. And then you have to do the thing of waiting for like two days. For the sink to totally drain before you can even put the drain away. See, you can't put the drain away if the sink's all clogged and full of water. So you got to wait however many hours or days for the sink to drain. Then you got to put the drain away. And then two weeks later, you got to do the whole dance over again. It's all very confusing. So I don't know if there's something I can be doing that's going to result in my drain not clogging. Like, is there something I can do to clean out the drain once and for all so this doesn't happen again? Tim, again, as a homeowner slash slumlord, I put it to you. I don't think so, no. It's something you have to live with. Well, all right. Well, never I, mind. I, I, I mean, people with money would have the maid do that. The mess is out of sight. Would they? Yes. All right. Well, never mind then. Uh, so there's that. You have a maid. That's not true. We had a maid. Had a maid. We didn't have a maid. We had a housekeeper. I don't know what the difference is. We had somebody who came to clean the house like once, uh, once or twice a month for a while. And the reason we stopped doing it is because we did that thing of... She had to skip it. Like, she was out of town, so she had to skip a month. Okay. And I know this makes me I, this makes me sound like the lamest person on earth. But, no, she was out of town. She had a vacation or family or whatever. So the housekeeper wasn't able, to, wasn't able to come one month. And so then we skipped a month, and the house got so filthy, Laura was ashamed to have her come see the house to clean it. Because Laura's got that whole thing of, like, any time that the woman comes to clean the house, Laura wanted to clean the house in advance, so we looked Kind of cluttered, but not dirty. I'm totally that person. I clean the hotel room before we leave. Like, I, I, I don't. F that. I, I, I make the bed. Yes, I have to. Like, really? Throw to go to the bed and like push things in the corners just to make it look a little more presentable. You clean the hotel room before you leave? Yeah. I, I do, too. First of all, they're never going to see you. Is that only in the? Is that when you're staying there more nights or is that on the last day? No, I do it pretty much every day. That is mental. I know. There's I know no why. reason for and that. I'm not a super like neat freak, either. And they're never going to see you again. They're gonna. They, they, the first of all, a person who cleans a room is never going to know your name, ever. The people at the front desk who know your name are never going to see the room. By definition, there is no reason to clean your hotel room. I mean, they have you have people for that. The last time I stayed at a hotel, afterwards, the maid knocked on my door and asked if her services uh, were right. sufficient. Right. So you do have face-to-face -face contact with the maid every so often. Yeah, but I mean, what do you care? I mean, it's well, whatever. Anyway, so but the, the housekeeper had to skip a month. This is back when we had a housekeeper. She had to skip a month, and so the house got really disgusting, and Laura was ashamed to have her see it, and so we just never, we never had her come back. Like, that was it. She took a vacation. It was like, 
It was like, what's his name at the night show? Go on the vacation, come back, no job. So the housekeeper goes on vacation, comes back, and we're just like, ah, I'm sorry. Uh, no, we're, we're not going to have you back ever again. So at some point, I had to bite the bullet and reschedule her, but no. So I have nobody to clean, so i got to start cleaning the bathroom myself. And it's this whole disaster with the sink. Uh, hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Hello. Hey, Rick, this is John. I uh, was listening to your problem with the sink. This sounds really ridiculous. Just take the bottom, the little elbow off the bottom of the sink where the drain is. And just let it drain directly into the cupboard. Uh, well, or a bucket, possibly. But um, what you do with once you get that out, then you can clean out that elbow. You've clearly got something clogged up in there because it takes two days. You must have, like, the drain about the size of a needle. So so, uh, so I take the little U-joint out of there, and then I clean that out. Now, can I just here's a dumb question. How do I get, do I, can I just take that thing off with my hands, or do I have to, uh... Yeah, it depends. I mean, most likely it's, it's just hand tight. And right. so you just take a bucket, put it underneath, because a ton of water will fall out. Right. Loosen it with your hand on both ends. You might you might need a wrench, but try it with your hands first, because inevitably it'll happen. Right. You'll strip it, and then you're going to have to visit from the plumber. Let me ask you this. Scale of 1 to 10, how bad is that going to smell? Uh, 6. Because uh, you think, you know, that, because I've been having this problem for like two years. So whatever's clogging that drain. Fun... Yes? I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt that. No, I was just going to say, because whatever's, it's been clogged for two years. So whatever's been clogging the sink has been in there for two years. Yes, but you could find some wonderful treats. Like perhaps Laura has lost an earring and, oh, they'll be right down in there. All right. I'll, I'll, I guess I'll do <laughs> no, that tonight. Then. All right, thank you, sir. Well, that may not be because constant water pressure going through it would allow anything to settle. Well, say hi. You're on the Rick Emerson show. Hello. No, I have to do it tonight. I can't because otherwise I'm going to. Because here's the thing: is I am lazy, but I'm also just the biggest cheapskate you'll ever meet, and I can't keep throwing down six dollars on Drano every ten days. It's just yeah. it's stupid. I just kind of learned to live with my with my shower drain like half clogged. <laughs> Seriously, Tim, it's kind of gross. This is what makes you different from Sarah and myself, Tim. Is that you get things, you replace things, get things fixed. Sarah and I just learned to uh, to live with the darkness. My light bulb burned out like six months ago in my bedroom, and I've learned to live in darkness. I was just going to say, Tim changes light bulbs. Sarah and I learned to live in the darkness. I, I I have several stacked up in my supply closet. Of course you do. Yes, I need them. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Hello. You know, being that you're not a homeowner, mm-hmm. you can always have your landlord replace that elbow. Yeah, but then he's going to think I'm a douche. He's going to... Eh, well, you know. And he already do? had to have the city dig an eight-foot trench in front of the house to fix my sewer line last week. I don't really want to... He's not really in the mood to see any no, pipes I, right now. No, he's not. No. words, electric razor. Yeah, but, you know, we always talk about that, but every time I get an electric razor, it never works. Not for everyone. No, it's like I get an electric razor, and it just... Up. It does a bad job. you got to get a good one. Yeah, don't we'll... go buy the $30 one at Walmart. Go get yourself, like, a good $100-something dollar like Norelco. Uh, maybe... get, get a good one with a whole lot of spinny heads and sharp blades. It's all snazzy and shiny and new. Quit adding S's and H's to things that don't have them. What are you talking about? All right. I didn't say Washington. All right. Bye now. All right. Uh, one more. Hi. You're on the Rick Emerson Show. Hello. Hey, Rick. Uh, a couple things. One with the uh, drain. There is a Drano. I don't know if you use it. It comes in a copper bottle. It's like two-part if they mix, creates toxic dust, but will clean anything pipe Excellent. cleaner. Uh-huh. Um, and that's, I'm just too lazy to pull my sink apart, and that's what I've done in our place in the past. Um, also, what I've always done with my hotel room is I'm too lazy to clean it, uh, but I don't like being, you know, the guy to leave the huge mess. So if I trash a hotel room, I generally leave a tip proportionate to oh, my, my colossal mess. That way, like, I'm ensuring someone gets to keep their job and making sure they're well paid, and I don't... Uh, get all that, you know, and then crap stop guilt. Yeah, it assuages all your white liberal guilt. All right. Exactly. Excellent. Thank you, sir. 
Come by. Fantastic. Uh, we have to break here in a second. But the only reason this is an issue is because, well, never mind. I don't have time to talk about it now. We'll talk about it when we get back. Uh, around the corner, we'll talk to Steve Kastenbaum, Bob Costantini, James Roop, Tim Riley coming up at noon from the Ministry of Truth. Later on, top five Jane songs and more. Stay there. It's the Rick Emerson Show. <laughs> Why, hello, it's the Rick Emerson Radio Program. It's 503-733-2970. If you're on hold, hang tight. We'll get more of your phone calls uh, here in a moment. Later on, Tim Riley at the Ministry of Truth. Brittany Watch, Geek Watch, uh, Bob Costantini, Jim Roop. Uh, We'll find out what Richie's auditioning for job-wise later on today. Ladies and gentlemen, from New York City. Welcome now to the Rick Emerson Show, the one and only Steve Kastenbaum. Hello, sir. How's it going? How was your weekend, sir? Pretty good. Were you doing like some? Uh, you were doing some domestic thing, right? Yeah, you know, we bought, we moved into uh, the new condo, so you know, you, you got to fit it out and get everything packed away. Figure out right. what's going to be where. Still doing that, but uh, yeah, um, you know, it's happy. To, it's a good thing to be in a new place. So this is uh, wait. So this is you just moved in, or you're just like in the decorating stage, or we moved in like three weeks ago. All right. But uh, then I went away for work for a week, and then my wife went away for work for a week, and then I went away again. <laughs> so it's like that opening scene in War of the Roses, basically, where it's just uh, where she's just sitting there, just surrounded by boxes. Basically, yeah. Uh-huh. We, we've, this weekend we got just about everything unpacked, so that's good. Got to hang things on the wall. You yes. know, that's always uh, problematic, figuring out what picture goes where. Oh, dude. Yeah, because you don't want to wind up, you know, with a, uh, a nail hole in a, in a freshly painted, nice, smooth wall because you didn't want to hang the picture there. Well, let me just tell you this. So uh, my wife has been on this, uh, this sort of kick of revamping our whole living room. Because our living room was kind of, I mean, we just, we're just... I mean, look, we're just hicks. I mean, that's, there's just no getting around it. And if you'd heard the conversation we were having before the break about my, my drain problems and my shaving and my whatever, I mean, and how I'm just, I mean, I really just have no sense of how to keep a normal house or how to uh, fix anything or repair anything or really how to even stay clean, uh, you know, in terms of like my living arrangement. You just, I really have never gotten past first year college student in terms of how I live my life and how I keep my surroundings. And my wife, God bless her, is is finally sort of. She's finally making the next leap. Now, it's taken her until, you know, her, her 30s to do the same thing. But she, at least at this point, is starting to try to live like an adult. And I'm still not. I just live like a I live like a homeless guy who somehow found a house in which to squat. That's basically how I live. But but Lara's on this whole thing of redecorating our living room and kind of getting a different, you know, different paint, uh, you know, whatever you call it, different color scheme going on. And we haven't bought any new furniture, but we sort of recovered our old furniture. And it, it does look very cool. But she did this whole thing of she repainted the entire living room. And I have to say, it looks really great, but the centerpiece of our living room is this giant, and it actually is very cool looking. I'm not much of a fan, but it's a huge framed piece of um, artwork for the band Death Cab for Cutie, which is actually really cool looking. But it's that whole thing of she redoes the entire living room, and then that's going to get hung on one of the walls as sort of the centerpiece of the whole room. And so what do I have to do? I have to be the guy who tells her, because it's that weird kind of painting where you're hanging it up, and then there's like the um, the metal whatever you call it, lanyard, you know, you know what I'm talking about? That piece yeah. of metal in the back that you got to hang it on. It's like a metal, it's like a big, thick wire you got to hang it on. Right. And there's only one time that you get to sort of you know, swing that hammer. Right. 
Because otherwise you are screwed. Otherwise, and he, what you don't want to do is hang it up, and then you put it there, and it's crooked, and then you've got to start taking that nail out and moving it back around the wall, because then pretty soon it just looks like, uh, you know, it looks like the crows have been pecking it uh, at your plaster. So. Yeah, and then you can, yeah, you get all those scuff marks from the corners of the frame when you're moving it around. Yeah, and then you ruin the whole thing. And then you're, yeah, and you know, and then you're holding up a thing that weighs 25 pounds, and then you start to snap at each other because you're holding it up, and she's standing at the far <laughs> end of the room, going, I don't know, a little left. What, what let, let my left? Your what do you mean left up or down? No, no, no. Well, this side needs to go up. Well, what do you mean it needs to? Do I need to lift it or do, am I tilting or am I lifting? Just tell me what. And then and, you know, and finally just just tell me where to put it. And then you realize at a certain point it's not going to happen that night. You have to just take it down and set it in the corner, and then you go to opposite ends of the house for like half an hour. So <laughs> it sounds very familiar. Funny story this weekend, and I'll make it quick. So we we inherited uh, some backyard furniture from different family members, right? Mm-hmm. Which, is, which is great, you know. I'm all happy about that instead of having to go out shopping for that stuff. And uh, so I'm walking in and out of the house carrying the the furniture, you know, that we just brought in from the car, out into the backyard, you know, through the house. So I've been doing the trip several times, and I had the the screen door and the sliding door open. So uh, in between one of my trips, my wife decides to close the screen door. Never mind the fact that there are pieces of the furniture, you know, piled up in the house and, uh-huh. and then others piled up outside. And it's obvious that I'm continually going back and forth and I don't want the door closed. So I walk right back in and I walk right into the screen door and rip the whole bottom half of it off of it. Fantastic. <laughs> I was so mad. At it. I was really mad. Domestic yeah. bliss, sir. Yeah, brand new door, you know? Uh, uh, Well, let's see. There's just no way to segue into this. So um, Sarah and I were talking before the show about this Coney Island thing, but we were trying to figure out what they were. So somebody told us that they're they're closing Astroland, which is sort of an amusement park, but that it might not go beyond that in terms of closing. Is that true? You know, you guys would totally take up this cause if you lived here in New York because Coney Island is like the last place in New York that has remained true to its history that really hasn't changed over time. You could plot somebody down there from the 1950s in Astroland, and right. sort of, they sort of feel like they were at the same place, you know. So there are three things in Coney Island that are landmarked that will never change. The Cyclone, the Wonder Wheel, Ferris Wheel, and this, this sort of ride that's like a big tower, and you, and, uh, and you go up to the very top, and there's a lot of people, and, come, and it's just a viewing thing, right? Everything else uh, is slated for redevelopment, because now, you know, they realize that uh, Coney Island's no longer dangerous. The tourists flock down there by right. the tens of thousands every year. So they get this big developer to take up all the properties, including all these vacant lots are there. So he can't, he doesn't negotiate a new lease with the only amusement park uh, owner uh, for next year. So she, like this Sunday, said, well, what am I going to do? i got to vacate the place by the end of the lease uh, this fall. So I'm going to close down this Sunday, and that's it for Coney Island. Astroland mm-hmm. will be closed forever. And everybody's afraid that everything else is going to go uh, the same way, you know, all the all the all the food stands, this, minus Nathan's, of course, that'll stay. But like, you know, the cotton candy places, the, the freak shows that are there, all the carnival type stuff, and that Coney Island will become like every other place in the U.S. You know, it'll lose its uniqueness, and that's what the big fight is on right down there. There's like this Coney Island Museum. There's a school for freak show, sideshow wannabes, and everything. It's a really cool place. And so the, this Sunday was a really sad day. And so this is the sound you hear all the time in Coney Island. All the rides, and it's right over the boardwalk, right? So we're not going to hear that anymore if, if they do not find some way to work out a deal. And people have gotten so upset about this. Uh, they, you know, locals have written songs. And I 
can picture the people from Portland taking up this cause. Well, you know, because we, we have those things that happen here where there's uh, there are historic uh, things and places that are that are of great, you know, great sort of importance to the locals in terms of a vibe or in terms of you know the perceived sort of influence on the culture. And you know, when, the, when those things get the, you know, when the wrecking ball comes for those things, either literally or figuratively, people get sort of up in arms about it. So, so all the, the so the screaming of the rides and the making of the cotton candy is just going to be replaced by the endless hissing and whirring of the making of a latte. Right. Well, that's the thing. They want to preserve like some sort of amusement park. Uh, atmosphere there, right? But they want to make it all new and clean it up. And there are a lot of vacant lots, and there's a lot of, you know, empty buildings out there as well. So there's a lot of potential. But, of course, what are they doing? They're not trying to do it with, you know, with a, a care towards, you know, honoring the history of Coney Island and making it unique. They want to bring in all the big companies. Right. And Nike will have, like, you know, this, this athletic, you know, wall climbing type store set up. And, you know, maybe, like, uh, an electronic store like Sony will sponsor, like, a modern type, you know, amusement game room type place. So, you know what I mean? So they want to take away everything that makes it unique and makes the tourists uh, come out there year after year and just turn it into every other place. Make it like Times Square on Coney Island. Right. Well, you know, there's something, I mean, this, uh, you know, with all sincerity, there's something to be said for sort of dirt and grime and grease and old. Yeah, there's a certain vibe there that you just can't recapture. And, of course, the, the worst-case scenario, this is even – here, you get the three options. you got where you keep it the same. you got where you demolish it, and then you build something bright and shiny in its place. And then there's the worst scenario, which is when they demolish it, and then they try to build a brand-new version of the old thing. In other words, they try to build something that is a – they demolish the actual old thing, and then they build, like, a recreation of the old thing, which is, like, that's the worst of all possible scenarios. And that's kind of what they want to do here. Plus, they want to put in the addition of, like, condos and hotels, which they could use down there. But there are plenty of vacant lots to build them on mm. and still preserve the old Coney Island. I mean, you ever see the movie The Warriors? Yeah, absolutely. You know when they go back to Coney Island at the end, and they're under the boardwalk, and, yeah. and, and, and they're in Coney Island? It literally has not changed its appearance, more or less, since the 70s and that movie was, was made. So you can't recreate that. Once it's knocked down, that's it. It's gone. Right, right. You know? and, and, I'm, and I'm all for keeping it. You know, I, I, this is one story where, as a native Brooklynite, I feel like I need to take a side in this story. Well, some, as Hunter Thompson once said, sometimes there is only one side, Steve Kastenbaum. Thank you. All right. Uh, well, on that sort of poignant note, are you on tomorrow? Yes, I am. All right. We'll talk to you then, brother. Thanks a lot. All right, there you go. CNN Radio correspondent Steve Castenbaum. Well, it's like, you know, Asbury Park in New Jersey, same thing. The place is just all shuttered up and closed, and it's eventually going to be raised and made into condos, obviously. It's like knocking down the uh, the Sands Hotel. and the, That one still flabbergasts me. Mm. I mean, even, even beyond just the sort of nostalgia and the kind of cool hip vibe of it. I mean, the idea that you were somehow not able to make money on the Sands. I mean, the hotel where the Rat Pack played all of their legendary shows. You know that photo we did, the Rat Pack photo? Mm -hmm. You know, that was all for their shows at the Sands. I mean, that photo of the Rat Pack you've seen a billion times was to promote their whole series of shows at the Sands Hotel and Casino, which was really like Sinatra's, you know, that was his domicile forever. And the idea that you got the hotel that was the, the preferred hangout for the Rat Pack and you can't make money on it. If you can't make money on the Sands Hotel, you ought to have your money-making license taken away. Jesus. So you never saw Coney Island at all? I never did. No, because I've been to New York a whole bunch of times. We never got out to Coney Island, oh. ever. Yeah, that is, I, I, that's the same thing. It's like, I don't understand how it wasn't making money. It was co so completely crowded. Yeah. Lines for everything. You know, food stands everywhere. Well, but, you know, the thing is, it's not... 
Don't get me wrong. Rick Emerson is a proud capitalist, and uh, we live in a, in a capitalist society, and that's fine, and that's the way it should be, and it is, it is the greatest system of economic uh, advancement the world has ever known. This is all true. And you know what? I, and I work for a big corporation, so I'm no, don't I'm like, like some anti-corporate hippie nutcase. That being said, the, the reality of it is that the corporations now and businesses, they don't – it's not about – percentage of profit it's not about the amount of profit it is about the amount and percentage of profit growth from year to year so it's not about well hey we made a billion dollars this year it's about well wait a minute we made a billion dollars last year you're expected to make two and a half billion dollars this year and four billion dollars the year after that Mm -hmm. and that's neither good nor bad that just is the way things that is the way things run in this fading republic of ours let's welcome now to the rick emerson show cnn radio correspondent Hello, sir. How are you? All right, Rick. How are you? I am. Uh, I'm okay. I would say on the classic one to ten scale, I'm about like I don't know seven point two right now, trending up to an eight by noon, probably nine point five by the end of the day. You're you're interrupting my uh, checking out the best and the worst dressed at the VMAs last night. So. <laughs> well, I'm sorry. I hate to be a stick in the spokes, Bob. Uh, are you really doing that? No, no. I just it, it's on the was the front page of Yahoo. Because I was going to say I'd much, throw that out. I, I'd much rather talk about that than the uh, you know than the mortgage industry. Really, I mean to be honest. Uh, <laughs> I mean really, as I was saying earlier, I still I still eat about eighty percent of my meals out of a cardboard box that comes with a cheese powder packet. So <laughs> it's not like the mortgage industry affects me the same way that it affects some other folks. But I know, but man, it's. You know, but it's, it's, it's a big deal. It's serious yeah. business going on right now. So, I mean, it's just, uh, as they always say, record foreclosures. But, I mean, it's, this is really where, um, this is really where the man is stepping in and just desperately trying to dig in their heels to stop this slide, right? That's for sure. Um, the government, uh, moved yesterday, as, uh, your listeners, I'm sure know, to take over Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac. Um, and infuse perhaps as much as $200 billion into them. It's a basic economics 101 kind of lesson, uh, really. The, their stocks have tanked in uh, recent months, losing 80%. That means that uh, the investment capital that those companies need to lend to mortgage seekers is not there. And um, if they were allowed to really go under, it would, uh, just about everyone agrees, it would have been a huge problem for the economy, so this uh, $200 billion that's uh, potentially there now will uh, keep them afloat, but also it's good news if you're in the home buying market, you uh, you might be able to find a decent rate uh, for a, a mortgage you right know, it, now. It's always the good news, bad news when you hear about sure. federal officials stepping in on something like this, yeah. because on the one hand, uh, you know, there's a certain solidity and stability that comes with the federal government sort of bringing their pressure to bear and their, uh, you know, their financial wherewithal to bear. On the other hand, whenever you read federal officials have stepped in to stop a blah, 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 bankruptcy, blah, 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 foreclosure. It, while it's good that that stability is there, man, that, that really is just that's that is just the flag that something has gone terribly, terribly, deeply amiss in the economy. Well, we saw you know? earlier um this year, I believe, uh, the Bear Stearns uh, yeah. bailout. Um, this is uh, this could dwarf that considerably, um, really, because it's just the, the, the whole feeling is that uh, you can't have the mortgage industry just tanking. And when you have two companies that control as much as half of the conventional mortgages in the country, uh, you can't have them, you know, go under. Uh, and you know, there'd be a fire sale of mortgages, and things would just probably spin out of control 
for the economy. I'm, I'm not an expert on that. Uh, let me be clear. Um, but uh, just about anyone you talk to who knows these things say it's just it had to be, and even the presidential candidates admit it had to be, but uh, they've, they've got different takes on how this uh, should all play out. You know what I see sometimes in my head? I sort of picture it where, like, the whole world is one is one sort of street here in southeast Portland, and China is out there in one of those foam rubber dollar bill costumes in front of the payday loans place, <laughs> dancing back and forth. The Chinese come, come on, uh, easy credit, uh, 8%, you know, or whatever. And so, yeah. uh, really, so there's, uh, China is out there dressed like Ben Franklin, dancing back and forth on a street corner, trying to get us to yeah. come in and do like a payday consolidation loan for our uh, failing economy. Uh, all right. Okay. Hey, big fan of uh, Coney Island, Bob? Um, I've, uh, I went to uh, Astroland uh, a few years ago. And I happened to be up there in 2004 for a camp campaign event, and I decided to take a ride out there. Was it threadbare and glorious? It was uh, somewhat threadbare, but it brought back some memories of uh, when I was young. But uh, uh, it just uh, a lot of the luster is gone from the whole uh, area there. I think luster is overrated. Luster is overrated. You know what's underrated? Still good. Though. You know what's underrated is romantic grime. <laughs> All right, Bob Costantino, are you on tomorrow? Uh, no, um, actually, yes, I am. All right, I then uh, so, yeah. we will undoubtedly speak to you then. Enjoy the rest of your day, sir. Take care, Rick. Right, Thank you. Bob Costantini, ladies and gentlemen. All right. There we go. Did you make close them out, or what? Are you all right with that? Oh, we just leave it like it is. Okay, okay. All right. Uh, let's see. We'll get one call here. We'll, uh, we'll take a break here in a few. Um, I was going to do the whole thing about it. <gasps> did you get the new Inquirer? I did. I was reading that this morning in line. Right here. Um, uh, yeah, no, it's fantastic. The new Inquirer has got, let's see. I almost see. bought it. It looks so good. Oh, no, it's wonderful. We have, uh, let's see, what's in the new Inquirer? Shannon Doherty. Uh, Shannon Doherty being a diva. Yes. Shannon Doherty. We've got uh, Dexter. Um, We have Brittany. And, of course, uh, our good friend Sarah Palin right there. So, All right, so there you go. So, well, yeah, we'll get to that later on. Um, later on, uh, we will also talk to uh, Jim Roop, who's in Las Vegas, Nevada, speaking of the Sands Hotel. He's in Las Vegas for the kick out the OJ trial. And we'll do the top five Jane songs. Uh, Brittany Watch, Double Geek Watch. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Hello? It's you. Oh, you're kidding me. Wow. Uh, that was quick. Hi, Rick. Are you on a speakerphone? Uh, no, I'm on a headset. <laughs> Could you... Let me ask you this. On a scale of 1 to 10, how difficult would it be for you to not be on the headset? Um, I hope I don't hang up on you. Give me one moment, please. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> and we're done. Let's take a break. Back after this. It's 503-733-2970. Tim Riley uh, around the corner with a new news hour. More of your phone calls and more. Stay there. It's the Rick Everson Show. Emerson Radio Program. It's 503-733-2970. 503-733-2970. Well, I saw that I have... I'm sorry. We're continuing a conversation we were just having during the break. But 
And I saw that I have yet another uh, CBS Radio Eye on Ethics test that arrived in my inbox over the weekend. Oh, I think I have one, too. I just haven't had the time. I yeah. didn't get one. You know, that's like the third test in a row you haven't gotten, Sarah. Maybe I you're know. ethical. Uh-huh. <laughs> maybe you're all the maybe you are the Milton Wadhams of uh, of AM nine seventy. Okay, what if they're getting like sent to my junk mail and I don't know it and I'm like ignoring all. Oh, the I would stuff? I would check into that. That does go on your permanent know. record. I don't see them. All right. Well, you should have gotten if I can just uh, pull back the curtain. Now you should have gotten an email in the last couple of weeks uh, for like your annual payola uh, test. Did you get that? Wait, there's one from Saturday nine six. All right, yeah. What does it say? It went into my junk email. Dear Sarah, every two years, all employees, that's officers, it. and directors. No, that's totally it. That's the, that's the, that's the one I got this weekend. Time sensitive action required. Uh-oh. Yeah. Time sensitive is like a scary phrase. Should one not accept payola until they've read this? <laughs> yes. This is the proper way to accept payola. Okay. Uh, this is, this, it shows the, I don't want to do something. It's a payola rate card. <laughs> How many drugs am I being offered for a paper ad on this record? <laughs> I can offer you a power position for this new single, but only if you give me three bags of heroin and a whore. All right. Did I ever tell you that story about the rock band that wanted the, the promo director to find whores? It doesn't sound completely uncommon. No, um, I won't say where. I won't. I won't. In fact, I will not. I will simply say this. I'll say that it wasn't at CBS. Let's put it that way. It was not at any CBS radio station, and that's true. Um, I knew a promotions director, and promo director, that's just like the toughest job on earth. You could not pay me enough at a radio station. It, that, that You talk about a, a grind that would just sap anybody. I mean, oh, yeah, especially like Susan having to be the dead mother for those uh, street God. kids. Oh, dude, there's not enough money in the world. Half I mean, those really. kids look like they've been on a bender for three days. Most of them don't flush the toilet. They belch at you when you speak to them. Is that really true? I can yes, I, I have had examples of all those things. <laughs> Hello, street teamer. <laughs> oh, by the way, but before we talk about, let me. I'm making a note here so we work our way back. Promo, and then we'll begin the actual news hour here. But um, speaking of, they don't flush the toilet. Have you guys seen yeah. the unisex bathroom this morning? Yeah, I, I don't even go in there. That bathroom grosses me. Out. Seriously, it's gross. we it really work. Is. We work in a zoo. I mean, even the zoo is cleaner. I mean, I, I don't you think know. What, Rose too leaves a mess like that in her restroom. How hard is it? And I'm just directing this at whatever functional illiterate doesn't know how to use a bathroom. How hard is it to? How do I put this? How hard is it just to clean up after yourself? Let's put it that a way. Lot. Huh? Here, a lot. I mean, I guess it really is just beyond the realm of capability for some of the folks in the building. And I really, honestly, don't know who did it. So I'm just directing this at whoever it might have been. Well, but but this, it oh. might be the result of someone actually uh, attempting to live a cleaner existence than at home. We, I mean, it could be ten times worse where they're from. Well, that's, but I mean, then you, I mean, you know what, I don't have to use their bathroom at home. I don't have to go to their place and take a whiz at their place. I go to the unisex bathroom today, which is, you know, you know it's more privacy, and it's, you know. And the other one, you know, I don't know how it is with the women's bathroom here. The men's room here is very badly lit. I mean, it's like it's lit with with yellow light bulbs that are about half gone. That will I mean? make you look like you're 30 years older than you really are. Oh, yeah. I, I have aged significantly <laughs> since I've come to work. Totally. No, it's like you look in the mirror and you turn into that guy in Poltergeist. Whose it's skin is falling it's off. terrible for your self-esteem. <laughs> you know, I mean, it, it just, I don't know what it is, man. With the lighting in the bathroom, it's like it's designed just to make you feel bad about yourself. And you leave there feeling bad. Every pockmark, blister, boil, scab, cut, scrape. Yeah. Looking in the mirror, going, God damn, I look hideous. It's like the mirror of Dorian Gray, mm-hmm. except it was in reverse. Um, so it's just, just bad. But um, you know what they ought to have? They ought to have yellow or pink lighting in there at full strength. Like a full strength pink light bulb, that'll make you look the best you've ever looked in your life. There's a restaurant. There's not a plug. 
but I, there's a restaurant called Lovely Hands, uh, which is an unbelievably great uh, eating and drinking establishment. But the, every, it's all lit with pink light bulbs, which sounds really weird, mm-hmm. but your eyes adjust really quickly, and you look fabulous. There's this bar called East downtown, uh-huh. and it's just all red lighting, and everyone just looks super yeah. hot. <laughs> it's like, Laura and I will go there sometimes, and I'm like, I don't ever want to leave. Look at me. <laughs> look, how, look how great I am. But uh, you go into the men's room here, and there's like one yellow-ass light bulb that is on the, just on the brink of burning out entirely, so it's like a... Kind of a thing. It looked. It's like. Um, you know what it is? It's like trying to. Um, it's like trying to use the bathroom in Doom Three. I mean, that's really what it, what it's like. So I go into the unisex bathroom here, which is bigger and more brightly lit. And I did this thing this morning. And Tim, it sounds like you had the same experience. Yeah. I walk into the unisex bathroom here at CBS Radio, presumably a company that employs you know adults. Open the door, and I just kind of do that. Oh God! Oh no! Yeah. Oh no! And I just shut it, and it was like immediately going to the delete file in your head, trying to purge that out of your cache. I just don't, you know, you don't want that in your head. What? Oh, I don't even want to. It's just filth. You You know, you don't want to know. But I'm just saying, it's someone who either does not know how to use the bathroom properly, or whose method of cleanup. Leaves a lot to be desired. Let's put it that way. And uh, apparently, their their butt, uh, their uh... <laughs> yes, Tim. Did you mean ass? Uh, their uh, diet can't be the greatest. Oh, yeah, that's because of what's been left behind. <laughs> I don't even know what that means. Oh, I don't even know. And I don't want to know. Uh, so there's that. But then, just to dovetail real quickly into something we were talking earlier, how we were saying, Tim, that the difference between Sarah and myself. And you is that you have a stack of light bulbs that sort of arrange very carefully at home so you yeah, can replace the them when they burn out. And Sarah and I just learned to adjust to the darkness. You said the light bulb in your bedroom has been burnt out for how long, Sarah? Um, like six months. And you've just sort of learned to adjust to it? Yeah. I will tell you this. An advanced case of that is when I lived by myself in Salt Lake City and I had things burn out. And then eventually I quit. I had, they just turned off my power at one point. And so then I was just like living in an apartment with no power. <laughs> I was living in an apartment with no power, and then eventually I had no hot water. And then I had stopped answering the mail. <laughs> I don't answer my mail. I'd stopped answering the mail, but you know what they did at one point? It was like how Kramer tried to get his mailbox turned off in that episode of Seinfeld. I quit answering my mail. So you know what they do if you, if you don't answer your mail long enough? They turn off your mail service. And I came, and my mailbox had been locked shut by the postal office. No more mail, which was sort of freeing in a strange kind of yeah. zen sort of a way. So that was when I was much younger. I'm more responsible now. Yeah, I bet. But I'm just saying, well, because I have a wife. So, uh, all right, ladies and gentlemen, at the Ministry of Truth, it's Tim Riley. It's time for the Rick Emerson Show's new news hour, only on AM 970, The Talker. And now, from the Ministry of Truth, this is Tim Riley. News time is brought to you by Leif's Auto Collision Center. Find a state collision repair, go to Leif's.com. I know what Leif's can do for you. A woman... Lying around a railroad track in Junction City, survived after being struck by a train. She has a deep laceration in the back of her head. She's in serious condition. The engineer of the freight train made an emergency stop, but was unable to uh, stop from hitting the woman. Wait, she was laying on the track? Yeah. Mm-hmm. She didn't respond to the train train horn. <laughs> Alcohol appears to be a factor. <laughs> no, really? <laughs> she's, a, she's a white gal between uh, 40 and 45 years old. 130 to 140 pounds, 5 foot 5 inches tall. She has brown hair, brown eyes, and a tattoo on her left hand that says, Far Out. <laughs> I hope the accident didn't damage that wonderful brain of hers that appears to be working at peak efficiency all the time. Mm-hmm. All right. 
Meanwhile, police credited a group of drivers for helping them catch an alleged drunk driver had their kids in the car. Woodburn police received 10 calls late last night saying that a silver Ford Explorer was swerving all over I-5. By the time they caught up with the vehicle at the gas station, they say the driver had uh, taken, or oh, one of the drivers had taken 27-year-old Melody Teal's keys. Police found two young girls in Teal's vehicle. She's charged with DUI and reckless endangering. So uh, somebody got the keys away from her, luckily, and there are children there. An Oregon man playing in the yard with his toddler captured a six-foot-long lizard capable of killing pets and injuring humans. Toddler, I barely knew her. Now, at first, he thought it was a crocodile when he first spotted the Nile monitor. We had a Nile. Uh, Is that that thing that the guy brought in the studio uh-huh. that terrified me? I mean, yep. one of the many things. Yes, and he, they found it in the bushes. He was able to capture it and wrestle it into a metal dog cage with the help of Dalton Brown from MB Reptiles, a pet store in Grants Pass. No report of missing lizards has been reported either in Josephine County or Grants Pass, but officials say whoever lost this lizard. She reported immediately because the Nile monitors teeth and claws make it dangerous to pets and people. You know, this is why I have, I'm not going to say I have no sympathy, but this is like, we had that story last week about some woman getting her knickers in a twist because there was a mouse somewhere. She was, oh, that was in the theater. But you know what I mean? And then she, the rat fell out of the ceiling, allegedly. Uh, uh-huh, sure it did. Uh, but, uh, you know, but she was, you know, she's being like a 50s housewife or whatever. There's a mouse! And it, it's not like you want mice running around everywhere. But on the other hand, when you think about the things that live in this world and the fact that I mean, this is a thing you don't really think about all that often because man like man likes to believe that he is really at the unimpeachable apex of the food chain and that we run the whole joint and we sort of do in a vague kind of way, you know. But, but every single moment, every single day, it's just an ongoing war between us and every single other living thing in nature that's trying to get trying to like take over the whole the whole house. So and it's like you know that, that thing about how like in the ten million years the squid are going to run you know run the whole planet or whatever. But I mean, you know, you you leave your house for three weeks, you come back. It's gonna be, you know, it's gonna be filled with things. So I mean, nature is really at every opportunity just trying to knock us off the top. So see, also monitor lizard leaping out of the shrubs to try to kill you. But in the grand scheme of things, it shouldn't be all that surprising or horrifying that a mouse is somewhere. Oh, speaking of that, I've had two altercations with a skunk within the past week. Really? Now you weren't sprayed, obviously. I was not. So the skunk is walking on the other side. I, I, they're still out because it's still dark out earlier when you take the dog out for a walk oh, yeah. now. It used to be daylight, not anymore. So I walked around the neighborhood as I usually do, and I spy a skunk directly across the street from where I'm walking the dog. So I speed up. The skunk speeds up. I speed up more. The skunk speeds up more. So the skunk is pacing you. Yes. It was really scary. That's I was kind of freaky. Gonna... So then the skunk disappeared. But then, again, last night I'm walking, and I see not one skunk, but either his girlfriend or lady friend. Sure it wasn't a cat that had gone under a freshly painted fence. I don't think so. Because none of the fences are spray-painted that color. So now there are two skunks wandering around. Wait, okay. So the first time you're walking the dog, uh-huh. the skunk is where relative to you? Right across the street on the other sidewalk. I'm on the sidewalk on the right side. But as you're walking across the street, he's sort of then keeping up with you on the other side of the yes, street. Yes, and speeding up as I'm speeding up. And were you afraid at some point he was going to make a leap? Street, he yes. was going to cross the street and come yes. at you. Mm-hmm. See, skunks are not normally aggressive in my experience, but who's to say? I mean, right. uh, maybe he thought... Uh, maybe maybe he, he was trying to get away. That's true. He could have been trying to get away, and you guys were both picking the same direction. Mm-hmm. So, you know, uh, that's when they would say that, you know, that skunk is more afraid of you than you are of him. But, of course, which may be true, but it doesn't change the fact that the skunk can spray you with a bunch of crap, and you can't do anything to him that's except correct. sneer at him. Mm-hmm. So, have you ever been sprayed by a skunk? No. Me either, man. That's on my list of things I'd like to avoid for the rest of my life. See, also, head lice. Managed to duck out on the head lice my whole life? I wouldn't oh. want to be sprayed by head lice. No. <laughs> Being sprayed by head lice. 
That's the worst thing I've ever heard. How might that be avoided? That's like a fear factor thing. We're going to dump a basket of head lice on you. Don't move. Um, oh, that's the worst thing I've ever thought of. Uh, I did, I did have this experience with a skunk one time when I was living in Washington State. And, and actually, in retrospect, I have no idea how I got out of this without it being sprayed. Um, I was going over to somebody's house. It was, I don't know, maybe, I don't know, seven, eight, nine o'clock at night. But it was not late at night, but it was sort of dark. Uh, the sun had already set. It must have been in the fall or whatever. Anyways, I'm going over to somebody's house. And this guy lived, he had, um, it, it, it was one of those things where they'd taken like an old mansion and they'd converted it into many little apartments. Uh, so you had to, it, but anyway, so it had the big mansion-y steps that you had to bound up. Uh, and so I parked my car and, you know, I'm like, oh, don't, don't want to be late for, uh, we were doing something or other. And I, and I you know, gotta, gotta get to his place. So I parked the car, I get out and I'm, you know, I'm a young man full of exuberance and, and zest. And I just bound, and you know me, I kind of run on stairs, even now at the 35. I mean, I, these steps down here that lead from, you know, my office down to the downstairs. I mean, I go down those steps in like, you know, three, three jumps, bam, bam, bam. So stairs, I have, they've always been a thing that I just take as many stairs at a time as possible because staircases are very frustrating to me. It's just like I want to get from point A to point B fast. So I get to his house, and I'm going up to the main double doors, and I just in one sort of like Clark Kent leap, I just go from the base all the way up to the top, and I go wham, and I land on the front porch as though I'd just been dropped out of a helicopter, and literally I land eight inches in front of a skunk that was curled up on the welcome mat on his front porch. I mean, I bound up the stairs, and I land right in front of that welcome mat, and on the welcome mat is a skunk who, to his credit, remained very calm about the whole thing. I mean, this is some big gangly freak who just lands in front of him, and he sort of looked over at me, and he kind of arched an eyebrow, and then I just very carefully just sort of backed my way down the stairs. And I don't even think I went back. I think I called my friend. I'm like, uh, sorry, well, another night. So, but I don't know why he didn't spray me. I mean, it, it was amazing. Uh, my dad got sprayed by a skunk once when I was a kid. And that was one of those things where, man, it was like 15 different, you know, he showered like 100 times with like tomato juice or whatever you're supposed to do. It's a bad funk, man. All right, here's Tim Riley. So Pat and Mary get the shock of a lifetime Friday. The Lebanon couple get a statement from their old... Bank account that showed a mystery deposit of $300,000 made August 28th. Normally, the account, like most of our accounts, has less than $100 in it. <laughs> so the couple uh, said the bank representative told them a teller in Texas made the deposits, and they would contact the branch to get things cleared up. So as of today, Washington Mutual officials traced the error to the incorrect entry of a single digit of an account number in Texas. The money has been moved to the proper no. account. But the bank says, thanks for uh, pointing out the error. Did they get a toaster or something at least? They got nothing. They got nothing? They got nothing so they, far. They got nothing for pointing it out and for not taking the 300 grand, which and the bank told them was there. Yeah, and there's no indication that the person who made the deposit knew that the money had gone missing. Well, that's good. Mm -hmm. That's good to know. More than a quarter million dollars been moved around somewhere. By the way, um, you know what? I'm going to wait one story. I'm going to have a one-story buffer. Between that and the observation I'm going to make about something that happened to me this weekend. Well, there's nothing worse for you than a good scalding. That's what happened to three people who were severely burned over the weekend while soaking in the Austin hot spring. Raise your hand right now if you scalding. feel sorry for people who were scalded after getting into a thing called a hot spring. I know, you would think so. Uh, apparently, the burn victims were reported to be two women and a small child. They were injured in three separate incidents. You think they were... <laughs> Let's get back in, Myrtle. Seriously, three separate incidents. 
But all three occurred over the past weekend within a 24-hour period. <laughs> Maybe they're like the three bears. This is a little bit too hot. This is more than hot. This is just scalding enough. This killing me. <laughs> so in case you'd like to try this yourself and see how you fare, Austin Hot Springs is 37 miles southeast of Estacada. Of course. Along the picturesque Highway 224. This is uh, not patrolled by sheriff's deputies. You're pretty much on your own to be scalded. It is apparently patrolled by Darwin, though. So the hot springs are on uh, privately owned land and is surrounded by the U.S. Forest Service land. Oh, the water at the hot springs is often close to 190 degrees. <laughs> uh, they're working with the family to try to keep uh, trespassers from getting access to the property. Why don't you go get, uh, me, get me my Long Island iced tea? We'll try it again. It is uncommon... Uh, it is not uncommon for large groups of people accessing the hot springs on weekends. Jesus. Even though it's uh, blocked by a large gate and deep trenching. <laughs> Wait, Who wants on. to die? Hold on. It's blocked by a gate. Yes. It's blocked by deep trenches. Mm -hmm. They got burned the first time, and then they went back in time. twice more. And then brought a four-year-old child with them. Well, why not? Why not pass along that? Why not pass along that deep thinking to the next generation? The kid's the only one I feel sorry for. That reminds me of that. Uh, is that Simpsons where Homer drops, he like, he drops a donut or something into the deep fryer, and there's that sort of family guy thing where he just keeps reaching after it for like 20 seconds. Don't, ow, mm, donut, don't, ow, mm, donut, for, over and over and over again. That seems to be what's going on here. Um, now that we've had a buffer, let me just make this observation, and I will not identify in any way the banking institution about whom I'm speaking. In no way am I going to identify this bank. I'm not going to say... Uh, what the name is, I'm not going to give any identifying uh, details or characteristics about this bank. But I will say that I had to do, uh, I had that embarrassing, I had that awful um, uh, John Mahoney and say anything moment where I went to the store and I was trying to get my buy on. And then I, you know, I scanned the thing through and it's, you know, card rejected. I said, um, and what do you immediately say? Oh, there must be some mistake. Let me try that again. Card, you know, card rejected. And so, and of course, it's like a hot, you know, checker, as it always is. And I said, uh, uh well, let me just, uh, maybe it's the magnetic strip. Maybe, uh, well, I'll just try this one instead. And so she tries this. But as it turned out, my debit card, which is what I was using, had expired. You know, gone, you know, when they always say expiration date, what, you know, and my, the expiration date was the end of August 2008. So I go home, and sure enough, waiting in the mail, there's the brand new shiny debit card. God bless him. So I take out the brand new debit card. You know, and I, uh, you know, and I kept the old night, and I look, and it's, you know, to activate, uh, please, you know, please go to whatever. So I go to the website where you can activate it online, and for some reason, the activation online isn't working. And I got all the information right. I got my regular, you know, my new number, my old number, my social security, all that stuff. And the website is just not letting me activate it. And I thought, oh, that's kind of weird. So I have no choice but to call and speak to a person. And, of course, that itself is a bit of a challenge, right? So I call up. And it's like, you know, there's a th the sticker on the front of the card, and it says, to activate your brand-new debit card, call our number at 1-800-blah-blah-blah-blah-blah. So I call up the bank, and I get the automated voice, and it says, you know, thank you for calling the blah-blah-blah bank debit card activation number. Please enter your card number and the pound sign. Now, here's the thing. Maybe I'm just not that bright. Maybe I'm missing some part of my brain that would tell me how to do this. But I got uh, that BlackBerry corporate edition. And I had this problem with my Motorola Q, by the way. Maybe the maybe the fancy iPhone has a pound sign. But you know what? My BlackBerry doesn't have a pound sign. I mean, it's got it's got a pound sign that you can actually enter. Your phone doesn't have a, a pound sign. Not not like not like this. Not like a regular phone does. I have a pound sign. See, and I don't because the BlackBerry doesn't have that. It doesn't have a regular ten-digit keypad. Is that an option? 
It's now you now here's the thing. It's got a pound sign. In other words, if I'm typing an email on it and I need to enter the pound sign, it does have the actual symbol that's a pound sign. You hit shift and pound. But it doesn't have a pound sign the way a regular phone does, where you press it and it makes a tone. Because that's the deal, right? The pound sign and the star key both have a specific frequency of tone that trig it's like an enter key. Because what does it always say? Enter your card number and followed by the pound sign. And the pound sign uh, is is you know, it is a specific tone that tells them you are done entering information. So I can actually enter the character, but the pound sign on my phone, let's put it this way, the pound sign doesn't make any noise. The pound sign on my phone does not make a tone. So I enter the card number, and then I realize there's not. First of all, why do you have to enter the card number followed by the pound sign? Every credit card you have ever had has the same number of characters. I think it's, what, 16, right? It's a 16-digit code. If you have a credit card right now, you look at it, I, the dollars to donuts, it's 16 numbers. It's like 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, you know, whatever. Uh, it's 16 characters. So there's no reason that you should have to enter the pound sign at the end of it anyway. So I'm pressing all of this crap, and I'm doing my number over and over again, and I'm trying various other buttons to see if they'll have the same effect as the pound sign. And I finally realized there's just no way I'm going to be able to do this. So what do I then do? Then I hang up, because this is the specific number you call to activate your debit card. I realize I don't have a pound sign, so I'm screwed. So I hang up, and I call the regular bank 800 number that just takes me to their regular operator. Then what do I get? In order to serve you better, we'll need to gather some information. Please enter your account number, followed by the pound sign, which I can't do! That's so weird that your phone doesn't have a pound sign. Cause I'm it does. It just doesn't out. make any noise. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. It just doesn't oh, make any noise. Eat. Yeah, that's the thing. Is the pound sign is a tone that tells them you're done entering the information. My pound sign just doesn't make noise. So I'm just so confused because Blackberries are so technologically advanced, you know? like You would think well, so. You would, yeah. Or you would think that, like, you know, a bank would be technologically advanced. Uh, or that, you know, they'd pay to have somebody there to talk to me. So... I call back, and I call the regular bank 800 number. Please enter your account number, followed by the pound sign, which I can't do, and I also can't get beyond it because I have to enter my account number before they will give me any other options, including speaking to an operator. So then what I have to do, I have to go online to one of those Google sites that shows you the secret code for circumventing the phone tree. And what would you do without that site? It's a gethuman.com, by the way, is that website. Gethuman.com. Gethuman.com, which shows you the secret codes you enter to circumvent the phone tree and to go directly to a live operator. So I finally circumvent the, you know, the thing, and I, the live operator, and I said, hey, uh, I'm entering the thing, but on my BlackBerry, uh, the pound sign doesn't, doesn't make any noise, so I can't, I, you know, I can't finish the thing, so I need you to activate my card. So he does the whole activation, and then I said, hey, by the way, do you, you know, is there a manager I can speak to? And he says... Well, I suppose, and I said, I'm not going to complain about you. You were great. I want to mention this business about the pound sign. Can you pass me on to a manager? He puts me on hold, um, hands me to a manager. The manager picks up, and I say, hey, uh, you know, I was just trying to activate my debit card. I got this brand-new corporate BlackBerry. I got a pound sign, but it doesn't make any noise. It doesn't have a tone, so I'm not able to do the thing. And he says, well, sir, that's why we told you to call from a landline. And I said, well, what do you mean? It never said. He goes, well, we always tell customers to call from a landline when they're doing these things. So, in other words, not addressing my issue, not addressing the complaint. It's not, to make you feel bad. It's, it's, my, it's my fault. And he said, he said, sir, that is why you need to call from a landline. And I said, you know, I don't have a landline, actually. All I have is a cell phone. And then he says, this man who is being paid to make my life easier, theoretically, the bank, he says, well, I don't know what you want me to do about it. 
You know, and it was like that thing of just being glad that you don't have that ability to reach through the phone and kill a guy, because I absolutely would have. Really, I would have given him just such a smack over the phone if I was able to reach through the handset. So there's really no point to the story, just like there was no point to the story earlier about the uh, the shaving in the sink, except to say that, you know, would it kill you to extend, like, the basic rudiments of customer service? You, you don't even have to really care. Pretend that you care. Just lie. Tell me you care. For the love of Christ. All right, here's Tim Riley. We do care. Yes, I understand that it's there. It just doesn't make any noise. They're pointing at the pound sign. The phone. It works. It doesn't. It didn't work for me, brother. And I'm. And I was pressing that pound sign over and over again. If you're in phone mode, hold it on. Works. The, uh... There you go. No, it, I was, if you're in phone mode, it I was, works. I was not just in phone mode. I was on the phone, and I pre entered my account number, and then pound I sign. I get messages nothing. from this all the time nothing. using the pound sign. Well, you know what? Uh, you're a better man than I am, Gunga Din. Okay. So my well, you, by the way, you're the one that couldn't get into the office today either. That is true. I couldn't open the door. But uh, that's not even. The, but see, that's a, it's not even. That's not even really the issue. The issue is even about the pound sign. I'm willing to admit, you know, my, my phone was, uh, you know, locked up. There was some sort of a weird, mm -hmm. you know, rip in the wormhole or whatever. It's that when I talk to the guy, his answer is not like, "Well, I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. We like for all your banking experiences to be pleasant ones, and uh, you know, we'll look into that and see if there's something we can do. I'll I'll make a note of it on your. It wasn't that. It was. Well, then you need to call from a landline. I, said, I don't have a That's, landline. Well, you, you well usually, sir, I don't know what you expect me to do about it. But I think they want you to call from whatever number is registered with your account. Yes, except that cell phone is registered on my account. Oh, jeez. So when the guy says, I don't know what you expect me to do, you know what? I expect you to at least put on some convincing sort of pantomime of caring about me as a customer. <laughs> they need and to get and voice if, recognition uh, uh, software. Or, you know, just pay somebody $9 to sit there and answer the goddamn phone. I mean, really. You're very angry about this. Don't you hate calling up and you get stuck That's in the true. stupid guess, phone tree? I'm not. I'm not feeling the anger because I haven't gone through it recently. But oh. I, I, I had a similar experience with it, with the bank that I'm involved with, and it's very, very. Familiar. You know what? You, uh, here's the thing. Your first option should always be talk to an operator. Always. The Agreed. first option on a I phone always tree. Zero, 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 like over and over. See, but at my bank, you can't do that anymore. They figured that out. That's why I went to this website that it was like it literally it was like press two one five nine or something, and that's the code. Because uh, some geeks That's trickery. Yeah. I mean, the first option should always be to speak to a live person. And you know what? What do you expect me to do? I expect you to bleed when I find out where you live and I come and I cut your legs <laughs> off, you bastard. Wow. That's a wave of evil. No, Mr. Bank, I expect you to you die. Missed, you missed the clogged drain one earlier. Jesus. Sorry. All right, I'm sorry. I apologize. Thank you, Chris Paddock. You're welcome. Thank right. you. Here's Tim Riley. Did that solve the problem? No. She made me angrier. I'm sorry, Tim. I didn't mean to hijack the whole... But seriously... No, I'm, I'm glad you got the answer to your query. But do you share my frustration when they won't let you just speak to an operator? Yes. For the love of God. All right, here's Tim Riley. Oh, I, I, I did get something back from Amtrak, though, for my, for my uh, terrible trip to Washington. Did you complain about it, or did they proactively apologize to you? Well, I don't think they, they read my individual complaints, so I got a form letter back with a $25 gift certificate for my next trip. Really? Dear valued customer. Exactly. Yeah. So wait, you got a gift certificate for twenty-five dollars. Where, where did you go on an Amtrak train? Was I gone? Seattle. Seattle. So you got. Wait, hold on. So you got a gift certificate to use for a product and a service that you already found dissatisfying at least once. Yeah. They said, please try again. This food is terrible. Here's have have some more of it. Mm -hmm. All right. All right. I'm sorry. I'm gonna be all complaining about everything. Here's Tim Riley. Well, you could be worse off, like hundreds of Boeing machinists. Blocking the picket line outside the company's Gresham plant, many other locations, as the strike enters its first business day. So apparently, uh, there are 27,000 Boeing machinists in three states. That includes 1,200 employees at the plant in Gresham. It's a big place. 
It produces uh, stabilizers, landing gear, and other parts for final assembly in Washington. You know what they have at spring factories, Tim? What's that? Boeing machinists. <laughs> I suppose that's true. All right. Wait, so there's a strike at the Boeing factory? Yes. I thought Boeing moved. I thought they moved it to Spain. or No, no they moved uh, most of it to uh, St. Louis. But there's still people uh, kicking around here. All right. Boeing's a big place. Clark County deputies arrested a man after a late-night standoff in the Salmon Creek area of the Cove. They say 34-year-old Justin Holgan pointed a gun at his wife during an argument. Then he barricaded himself inside the home at Northeast 14th Avenue in the Salmon Creek area. He'd been drinking for several hours at one point, asking for his wife to shoot him. <laughs> <laughs> she refused to comply. His wife told deputy she'd been involved in an ongoing argument with him. So the SWAT team was called in. Uh, he didn't end up getting shot, and he's still alive to face another day with his wife. Uh, there were no injuries or shots fired. There, but for the grace of, you know, everything. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, apparently, there's a big problem with smelly, destructive elk in Longview. Maybe we can get Sarah Palin on the case, Tim. These elk are tearing up greens on the golf courses. It was devastating last year, said the owner of the Longview Country Club. They often see about 20 elk roaming around. Elk have been uh, plentiful in Longview. They're welcome there, especially on the hillside. Uh, oh, they do allow hunting, but apparently they're difficult to hit. They're pretty big, so they must have some pretty bad shots in Longview. Uh, elk once appeared only in the winter, but now they're around 365 days a year. Uh, we love them, say uh, some of the townspeople. They're beautiful animals. We put up with it because we see it as a benefit, even if they eat the apples off apple trees. Uh, elk also eat corn and apples and uh, ruining uh, some of the farmers' crops, so... But they're beautiful creatures, and nobody shot them all yet. Mother, moose hunter, maverick. Here's Tim Riley. A jet blue is auctioning off more than 300 round-trip flights and six vacation packages this week on eBay. Opening bids are between 5 and 10 cents. The flights are to more than 20 destinations, including four mystery places. The three, five, and seven-day auctions include one- or two-person round trip, uh, weekend flights in September to cities including Boston, Chicago, New York, Orlando, Salt Lake City, Fort Lauderdale, and Southern California. The vacation packages include airfare and four-night stay at two Marriott hotels and locations including Vegas and the Bahamas. The four-week mystery packages include two locations where passports are needed. So uh, I don't know why they're doing that. Uh, Hello. uh, Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Hello. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, your so biggest well. issue with the blackberry is not I'm looking sorry? at it. What? You hit the, your biggest issue with the blackberry is just not looking at it. I have a blackberry curve in the blackberry world, and you hit Q to use the pound sign. Wait, it's the Q. So wait a minute. Well, I don't have my blackberry in front of me, but it's but is it you have to hit the shift thing though, right? No, 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 you just hit Q. If you're in phone mode, all you hit is the Q button. Okay, well, see, this might actually then explain it because all the other time, if you're going to use uh, the pound sign you have to hit that alt button or whatever. So that's where the yeah, issue comes from. In, so, unless you're in phone mode, then you never have to hit Ah, uh, see, okay. So if you're in phone mode, it is sort of like when you're in phone mode, it sort of turns on the alt key for the duration of the call. Yeah, for the same reason you don't have to use the alt thing to dial a number, for example. Right. No, that does make sense. Okay, so it's all of the numbers, all of the keys that you would need to complete a phone call are automatically turned into that, uh, on into that mode when you start a phone call. Right. All right, then. Well, see, okay, there you go. See, because Paddock came in and was like, give me a bunch of grief because his worked. So I guess mine does work, but I was actually doing it 
the way that I would do it just if I was typing an email, which is not the way. So I don't need that alt key if I'm in a phone call. It's like everything you were just overthinking it. All right, fantastic. All right, thank you, sir. No problem. All right, there you go. See, so I thought I was actually just being dumb about it. So I was, just not to the degree that I was afraid. Uh, hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Hello. Hey, Rick. Hey, Tim. Hey, Sarah. Hello. Uh, Tim, do you have the story about Russia trying to ban South Park? No, I don't. Oh, I saw that this morning. So Russia's trying to ban South Park because it's hateful? Yeah, the uh, the headline just says, South Park, yet. <laughs> because, of course, the Russians themselves aren't hateful or extremist in any way. Uh, yes. Yeah, Moscow, I, uh, I have that Moscow in my pile Park. of news somewhere, yeah. Okay, a Moscow prosecutor is trying to ban South Park uh, in, a, in a, an attempt to kill Kenny, it says. Wait, so, what? This, I don't even uh, know what we're talking about. They're they're trying to play on the fact, you know, Kenny dies every episode, ah, so they're yes. in the headline, they're trying to make a joke out of it. Ah, all right, okay. Thank you, sir. Best show ever. All right, thank you, my friend. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Hello. Rick, what you need is uh, I just found a recipe for a bacon-infused old-fashioned. Like a donut? Like the beer? No, no, no. Like an old-fashioned, you know, I don't know what you make it with bourbon or something. The drink? Yes. Oh, okay. All right. Wait, so now there's – now, did you email me this morning about this? No, actually, I'm just getting ready to email it to you right now. I just wanted to make sure that I had you online so it didn't get lost. Now, here's the only reason I ask is because – so you're calling about a bacon-infused old-fashioned, and no lie – I got from two separate people, and I double-checked to make sure it wasn't the same person. Two separate people this morning emailed me two separate links to two separate bacon-infused liquor products. One was a bacon-infused vodka, and the other was a bacon-infused uh, uh, was like a bacon-infused whiskey or something. And I got that this morning. So clearly we're entering some sort of bacon-infused everything nexus event horizon here. It's, it's like the event of uh, the Age of Aquarius except with bacon. Exactly. Uh, one more thing I wanted to ask you. Um, why is it that you are so careful about um, taking product, taking things in exchange? You know, like you listen to every other – I mean, I'm a big fan of the Don and Mike show. Yes, sir. And, I mean, they're just – you know, I listen to your take on it, and then I go back and I watch the way do, they do it, and it just seems like – I don't know what we're talking about here. Uh, well, you know, they'll, uh, they'll take a limo ride, and then they'll give that guy props on the air. Yes. Somebody will bring food by, they give them props on the air. They seem to do it with impunity. Are they doing something different, or are you being more careful because you're doing something else? Well, we're being careful, and, you know, I would I would think uh, that as CBS employees, they would be beholden to the same rules that we are because they we work for the same company that Michael Mara Show does. That's kind of um, what I was thinking. So, why I don't, it seems so confusing. You know, but I don't know, because, you know, every radio station does have their – here's an example. Um, because for – I think he's actually closed it now, but for a long time, Mike O'Mara had a restaurant. It was just called O'Mara's, mm-hmm. and he was constantly talking about it. Uh, he was constantly promoting it. He was, you know, pimping it, which, and I'm sure it was all. He must have had some sort of paperwork filed to do that. But here on this station, and certainly on this show, uh, none of us here on this program may reference or refer you to any outside project that we are involved in if it has any possibility of financial upside. So uh, I think they might have their own. Sort of separate paperwork for some of that stuff, but uh, it's just like a contractual yeah. thing. It's he's a big enough deal to where they said he said yeah. uh, give me this, and they said yeah. Okay, well, maybe you know that. everybody kind of negotiates their own thing, but there is also in radio there is a. It, it could have been be it, his contract could have gotten into effect before the session he worked at was owned by CBS. That's so a, it could be carried over. That's we've also, always worked for CBS. So. Yeah, that's also right. possible. So well, because I, yeah. I always look at that to the of the whole payola scandal. 
Yeah, you it's know, uh, you know, I think everybody kind of negotiates their own deal, but I, that would not surprise me if it was a combination of those two things. Did he, he? I mean, I can't speak for him, but he maybe negotiated some exception to that, and then also it was a contract that pre-existed his relationship with CBS. So, just so my my two cents. It's not that you're being over over. Well, the we are over cautious though. Uh-huh. Yeah. All right. Well, anyways, uh, yeah. Enjoy the day. Thank Take you, care. sir. Yeah. Uh, well, that's another. I mean, and that's. I think Tim and. You know, we'll take a break here in a second. But I think Tim and I both probably, well, I know we both worked in an era, though, when there were DJs who would constantly just uh, reference things on the air, talk about a business, a restaurant, and uh, maybe a little something was changing hands, uh, you know. And that really doesn't happen that much anymore. Certainly it's not happening on the Michael Mara show. But, I, but it, you know, there was a time in American radio when you would be uh, listening to some DJ late at night, and the DJ would say something like, hey, by the way, have you gone to that... Uh, have you gone to that Stinky's Pizza over on 15th? Let me tell you, boy, I was just there the other day, and uh, I just, it's, it's a really a great place. That's, uh, that's just fantastic. I can't tell you what a great pizza that is. Anyway, another 10 in a row coming up. And then, you know, meanwhile, you flash to the studio where, like, he just got a delivery from the pizza place that did not charge him. So take a break. Back after this, Tim Riley returns around the corner. Uh, later on, we will talk to Cena Radio correspondent James Roop. Top five Jane songs and more. Stay there. Hello, it's the Rick Emerson Radio Program. 503-733-2970. A lot of radio talk today. Talking about the uh, promo the promo job, and we were talking about what else we were talking about. Like early on in the program, we were talking about some other some other weird aspect of radio. Oh, the restroom facilities. The restroom facilities, seriously. And just, I wanted to peek in there, but I didn't. Well, they might have cleaned it by now. Boy, you know, and no, you, know, cool. you know who gets stuck cleaning this unisex bathroom sometimes is Matt Green, for whatever reason. Because I think maybe general everyday maintenance maybe falls under the purview or whatever that word is of of the engineering department. Yeah, just, you changed the light bulb in the bathroom for me once. Exactly. You know, so he comes and changes the light bulbs in here, although I guess they have a guy who's supposed to do that, but I think on, if something just sort of goes out and needs to be fixed right away, I guess Matt has to do that. Um, but I went to the bathroom, the, the unisex bathroom the other day, and Matt was in there sort of changing a light bulb. So I think either he's just a good guy and is volunteering to do that because he cares about our you know ability to properly use the facilities, um, or, or, or I don't know, or maybe that is technically speaking part of the engineering department. But, but that I really feel bad for him on days like this because that bathroom is just a cesspool. I mean, literally and figuratively today. So, anyway, it's all very. And just to sort of put a period on the discussion with that last guy, the guy who called before the break, just because you do hear a lot of radio stations uh, mentioning the names of businesses or services, and I think what he was talking about was some sort of recent event where the Michael Mara guys had a limo. And really just for those out there who are curious about the, the workings and the machinations of radio, th- th- what it is all about is paperwork at CBS or everywhere. If there's paperwork for something, you know, mentioning a client, mentioning a business, a service, if there's paperwork, then all is fine, you know, whatever. But the problem was that sort of in the 80s especially and the 70s, there were a lot of radio uh, DJs who would just get on the air and just sort of plug something because they were getting something on the back end of it, and there was no paperwork, no paper trail, no approval. So, yeah, as long as everything's sort of documented, there's no issue with that. But uh, that was not always the case in radio. Here's Tim Riley. Well, then we have the story from Dallas about a robber who rolled into that Dallas 7-Eleven, came armed with a bat and a knife. He left with a lot of condoms and an energy drink. A man in a wheelchair entered the Dallas 7-Eleven. Bless you. Bless you. you. 
roll straight toward the cash register and beat it with a baseball bat until it opened. But he didn't grab any cash. Instead, he stole ten boxes of condoms and an energy drink before making his getaway in his wheelchair. The suspect may have been homeless, likely intoxicated at the time of the robbery. I would say that he's ambitious, perhaps overly so. I believe so. Time for Brittany Watch. Here's your Brittany Watch for uh, Monday in the Rick Emerson Radio Program. two parts to this. Brittany's mother has told all about her daughter in a cash-in-book deal. The tales have been leaked from Lynn Spears' forthcoming autobiography, Through the Rain, that are set to draw a further wedge between the estranged pair. They have not had contact since the singer split from her husband, Kevin Federline, in 2006. The Sun reports that the book, Apparently, Spears' senior claims her daughter began drinking alcohol at the age of 13, was sexually active from 14, and began using illegal drugs at 15. Lynn Spears apparently acknowledges some responsibility for her daughter's problems right down at the line. The paper reports Lynn Spears tells how she regrets handling control of Britney's career to managers and allowing her daughter to be promoted as a sex object in raunchy videos at such a young age. Part 2. Brittany is reportedly none too happy about her mom's decision to spill all of the juicy details of her past in the new memoir, Lynn Spears' book, Through the Storm. A real story of fame and family in a tabloid world. Uh, so, uh, let's see. Looking poised in reserve, Brittany was a big hit on last night's MTV Video Music Awards. Anybody watch that? No, I didn't even know they were on. I no. watched a little bit of it. Mm-hmm. She won three MTV Moon Men her first uh, WVM win after 16 previous nominations, including Video of the Year for her clip, Piece of Me. So, I mean, with, what did she do? Was she did she singing? Was she hosting? What was she doing? She was just hosting. She, she was, was just, just standing there and collecting awards. She won three of them. All right. But, I mean, she wasn't the host, though. She was a co-host. Her, oh, okay. well, Russell Brand was the main host, and she came out a, a few times. Oh, is that that comedian? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, he's the guy from Forgetting Sarah Marshall. Yeah, and my friends who I was with, nobody knew who he was, and they're like, who's that idiot? And I'm yeah. like, no, that's his character that he plays because he's a, he's a comedian, but that's his shtick. Like, oh, I always, see. It's his, his persona. Yeah. All right. Uh, yeah, so I got this. Uh, in the Inquirer, they've got a little thing about the Britney thing. So, uh, let's see. As some of the stuff you already said, Britney Spears lost her virginity at 14, drinking at 13, drugging at 15. Um, an anguished mom, says the Inquirer, now regrets having the fragile teen sold to the public as a sex symbol. Uh, let's see. Back in high school, according to Lynn Spears' book, 14-year-old Britney dated the most popular football player on the team, an 18-year-old senior. Lynn encouraged the relationship because she thought it would make Britney more popular at school. God, what a, what a weird family that is. While they were dating, Britney spent much of her time at the boys' house where she lost her virginity. Um, when Britney started dating Justin Timberlake, Lynn allowed them to spend the night together in Britney's room. Lynn was... This is so creepy. Lynn was sure they were having sex. But she thought Britney was in love and that Justin was good for her. Britney first tried drugs at 15. Lynn knew her daughter was experimenting with drugs when she went to Los Angeles to record her album Baby One More Time. Lynn thought Britney was just going through typical teen problems. What with all of her rampant cocaine use. But when the singer boarded a private plane at age 16, cocaine and marijuana were found in her bags. 
Uh, Lynn Spears says she caught Britney drinking liquor as young as 13, revealed the source. Um, Lynn explained she didn't mind Britney drinking as long as she was there. Uh, Jesus, God. All right, well, there you go. There's your double Britney watch for uh, Monday on the Rick Emerson radio program. CMD Portland. Let's talk about politics, because that's what's on everyone's mind. Mute media interviews with Sayla Perrin, oh, Palin, <laughs> I can't remember her name, will take place when the McCain campaign thinks the time is right. That's what McCain's campaign manager, Rick Davis, tells Fox News Sunday. Adding interviews will be scheduled when the Alaska governor feels that she's finally comfortable in doing them. Wait, let me understand this, just so I can, just so I can be clear. Yes. I'm simply making this observation from my own quasi-objective vantage point. That we are expected to believe that she is ready to be the commander-in-chief. We are expected to believe she is ready to lead America's armed forces. She is ready to be in the situation room. She is ready to deal with crises, both domestic and foreign. But they won't let her talk to reporters yet, because she's not ready. Uh, perhaps what's really going on here is we're all waiting for the next inquirer story to come out so oh, I, you may have to defend it i know i certainly am but i mean but this is but this is the, the but this is the best they can come up with for a public story she's ready to be the commander in chief but they won't let her talk to the media cuz she's just not up to it right now mm-hmm. yeah, okay yeah i feel better about her as a leader already Oop. is my pot up i don't know well let's have a sound bite like there's no information out there about about sarah palin the governor the mother uh, the agent for change Moose there's, there's plenty out there on uh, John McCain's 65th appearance on Face the Nation, he said Palo will get interviews and uh, make a recommendation. Well, as you know, we just finished the convention, but uh, within the next few days, and I'm strongly recommending that uh, she come on Face the Nation uh, with Bob Schieffer, and that will be the first of her 65 appearances. So uh, McCain had uh, something to say about the uh, mortgage situation. There's got to be restructuring. There's got to be reorganization. And there's got to be some confidence that we've stopped this downward, downward spiral. It's hard. It's tough. Did you see that McCain's kid is on the board of that bank that just failed in Arizona? No, I didn't know that. Yeah, there was, uh, I forget what it was, like Silver Falls Bank, uh, Pat, I could know. Uh, but there's some bank that just failed in Arizona, and I guess McCain's kid was uh, helping to run that place. So, mm. anyway. Uh, Barack Obama says uh, being a community organizer is how people serve their community. John McCain has been talking about putting country first uh, and extolling the virtues of national service. That's what I did between the ages of 24 and 27 before I went to law school. I would think that's what we want all our young people to do. He sounds awfully reserved. Yeah, he's going to have to start. Uh, he's going to have to step it up a little bit. I know. Yeah, Supposedly I mean, he was thinking about accepting, uh, taking Joe Lieberman. Decided not to because uh, the right wing of the Republican Party would have had a riot. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, I don't know. I it does. I mean, I'm just basing it off as one soundbite. I mean, maybe I'm sort of misjudging. Uh, but I based on that, and I saw him speaking somewhere over the weekend. I forget exactly where it was. Barack Obama was talking somewhere, and it really ratcheted everything down. And was sounding much more sort of moderate about everything, which is not going to be the way to to win for those guys. Mm-hmm. I mean, because the Republicans just, I mean, the Republicans just did nothing but come out for, really, every night, except for the night John McCain spoke, Mm -hmm. they were just out there just kneecapping uh, the Democrats, just every single speech, 
Just one big brass knuckle punch to the face. So if Barack Obama decides to cling to the sort of democratic strategy of just, uh, you know, it just sounding, uh, you know, sort of spineless, it's just not going to work. Well, let's see if this is any better. He is now speaking in, in Flint, of all places. When John McCain, with a straight face, stands up and, I'm, and, and says, I'm going to change things, at the same time as he says that he agreed with George Bush 90% of the time, you know, it's pretty hard to believe. <sighs> all right. He'll give everyone health care, Hmm. How come there's nothing there? I don't know. That's very strange. It was working a second ago. Let's try it. He'll give everyone health care. <laughs> He'll give everyone health care. <laughs> or else we get it some other time. <laughs> this is Barack Obama saying it? Yeah. Well, it's just more of the same lie. Then. No. Just more more fibs and half-truths and flat-out fabrications. I will say, I think Lycus had a really good point. He was, Lycus was talking about, um, and, and this is what, we're three weeks away, I think, from the debate. Mm-hmm. The, the, the 26, I think, is, is one of the first with the first presidential debate. Is anybody going to be interested in that? Well, nobody's going to be. I mean, I'll be moderately interested in the debate between Obama and, and, and McCain. Everybody is going to be watching the debate between Sarah Palin and Joe Biden, though. That's the debate everybody's going to watch. And Lycus had a really good point about this. Because, you know, when, when Lycus, you know, when he has a, when he talks politics and he really just sort of, you know, when he just sort of strips everything down, I was talking about a political issue. He really has just a keen eye for seeing the, the layout of, of the land. And the problem that the Democrats, I think, are probably going to have is that they have they're laboring under this fiction that it's going to be now a battle between Barack Obama and John McCain. Would you think Because nobody cares about John McCain? No one, not even the Republicans care about John McCain. I mean, John McCain is not the issue. Sarah Palin has become the issue, and they're going to start. I mean, if the Democrats want to win, which they probably don't, because Democrats love to lose. They they love that they love to fail. They love to em- embrace sorrow and defeat, and they love. And Democrats not only love to fail. Democrats love to have like a great moral victory as they're actually being defeated. Like that's the Democrats. Well, you know, we went up and we played the game with virtue and honor, and they're doing that like as they're packing up their office and going home because they've just gotten raped again. So. um but, I mean, it's no longer about John McCain because he's just such a bland, non-issue for most people. The, the Democratic ticket is now Palin McCain. That's just the way of the world. So the Obama people, are, they have to start, man, they have to start wailing on her if they want to make up any ground. And they don't appear to be doing that. And that's going to be to their detriment. Well, let's hear uh, John McCain speak that. I want to promise you that from time to time, we will disagree on a specific issue. But all my life, I have put my country first. I will put my country first as your president. No one cares. Uh, Sean the Diddy Combs is getting Republican vice presidential candidate Sarah Palin a second look after her rousing speech. Apparently, he uh, blasted John McCain for choosing her as a running mate in his blog. Uh, Diddy said Palin wasn't qualified because there aren't any crackheads or black people in Alaska. What? That's what he wrote. You're making that up. Diddy said Palin wasn't qualified because there aren't any crackheads or black people in Alaska. Came across... Extremely strong, um, extremely charismatic. Somebody I would want to play hockey with. Um, I still don't know if I want you to be vice president, but you at least deserve the benefit of the doubt to see how you do on this campaign. Did he apologizes to Alaskan? Once again, everybody in Alaska. Um, <laughs> I know there are black people in Alaska, and and even a couple of crackheads. Um, <laughs> wow. <laughs> you know, all the people in Alaska. I was only joking on my on my blog. Wait, hold on. I just he didn't. So he much. didn't want to offend the crackheads. Wait, hold he on. Apologize. He's apologizing for for saying the that there were no crackheads there. Right. He knows there must be some. He has now issued an apology, clarifying. No, 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 no. I'm sorry. There are in fact crackheads in Alaska. Can you play that second bite again? Sure. 
once again, everybody in Alaska, um, I know there are black people in Alaska and, and even a couple of crackheads. Um, <laughs> you know, all the people in Alaska, I was only joking on my, on my blog. God, people are dumb. Jesus. Thank hey. goodness they are. We'd have no reason to be here. Seriously, first of all, don't you know that in his head, he really is picturing a huge screen the size of, like, a stadium over Alaska? Like, in, you can tell that when he's speaking there in his head, he thinks that everybody in Alaska is sitting there in front of their laptop waiting for Diddy to address the state. You know, like, waiting to see what his latest, latest observations on their populace uh, are. Secondly... Imagine how pathetic and empty your brain and head must be that you go to P. Diddy's blog to read that. I mean, really? Who really had a blog? No, I mean, and it's not even, it wouldn't even be teenagers at this point. Who do you suppose goes to Sean Diddy Combs' blog to read his alleged thoughts on things? I mean, you know, 10 years ago it would have been 16-year-olds. I can't imagine there's anybody left who would do that. But, I mean, you know, what do I know? So there you go. All right. Well, it's time for the fire-breathing dragon herself, Hillary Clinton, to start campaigning for Barack Obama. And here she is. And I am here with a very simple message. We must work as hard as we possibly can to elect Barack Obama the next president of the United States. Well, after hearing Sarah Palin talk, Hillary's voice sounds so soothing and calm, sounds so much less strident. I mean, it's just... There really is nothing uh, like hearing Sarah Palin talk for an extended period of time to really put things, I think, in some sort of perspective about what kind of voice is irritating. I'm a hockey mom from Alaska, and what? I am here with a very simple message. Yeah. All right. Um, I uh, was talking to Chris Paddock uh, about this the other day. He was uh, I don't know, we were talking about something or other. We were talking about the election. And I'll tell you this. Barack Obama had better hope. I mean, for a lot of reasons, but man, he better hope that he wins this election because if Barack Obama loses, if the Obama-Biden ticket does not win this fall, the amount of recriminations they're going to be against that guy for not picking Hillary Clinton, I mean, he'll have to leave the country. I mean, he'll have to pack up and he'll have to move to Switzerland. Um, because I think we all know that if Barack Obama had picked Hillary Clinton, I mean, it'd be over. It'd be done. Mathematically speaking, if Obama had picked Hillary Clinton, it would be finished. I mean, they, they'd probably be putting him in the White House right now. And, of course, if he'd picked Hillary Clinton, John McCain probably never would have picked Sarah Palin. He would have picked somebody who was a lot more, you know, who was much stronger, uh, you know, on, on foreign policy and whatever. So Barack Obama better hope he wins, because if not, uh, he will be, man, they will just rail on him for the rest of his days about passing over Hillary Clinton and screwing himself and everybody else uh, out, of that, uh, out of that election. In other news, while President Bush was telling Americans that the war in Iraq was being won by mid-2006, he actually believed the U.S. was losing. That's one of the many eye-opening statements included in the book by Washington Press reporter Bob Woodward. It goes on sale today. On 60 Minutes, Woodward said commanders in Iraq had nothing but bad news for Mr. Bush prior to the surge. The top-secret special compartmented information report that went directly to him quotes from an intelligence report saying violence is so out of hand, so extensive, that it is self-sustaining. President Bush's own generals told him the idea of a troop surge on the scale he was considering was bad news. Uh, they think it won't work. And the president actually at one point goes and meets with him in the Army Chief of Staff, General Schoomaker, says you can't add five brigades. It will take many more. Uh, the success of the troop surge is partly due to something so secret he couldn't put in the book. There are secret operational capabilities that have been developed by the military to 
locate, target, and kill leaders of Al-Qaeda? Comments? No. Queries? No. Senator Joe Biden says it's important that the federal bailout of trouble mortgage giants Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac help all parties with ownership interests. You have to make sure that you help homeowners and stabilize at the same time financial institutions. Secondly, you got to make sure that you're not bailing out shareholders versus the taxpayers. I think now we should honor the fallen comedian by having a mortgage giant called Bernie Mac. Why, that sounds wonderful. That's all I have. I don't have any follow-up humor there. There's no supplemental material to that joke. It's simply that observation. Uh, school is back in session across this great land, and one of the greatest dangers to parents and children alike is the danger of cyberbullying. Cyberbullying expert Marion Merritt said there are certain signs to look for that may start some trouble. They stop using the Internet the way they did, or their cell phone, they're not talking to their friends, they lose interest in going to school or, or engagement in sports, they may even become disengaged from the family life and not want to come down to dinner. You know, it, it, like all teenagers, I was just going to say, they're going to become sullen and bitter and antisocial and spiteful and angry. Uh, and also, America really is the, the land of opportunity in, in that you can just announce yourself to be an expert on anything and then begin to whore yourself out all over the radio. And, and then we will do, people like us will just pick up your sound bites and dutifully pass them on to a gullible public. Well, she's a, she's a cyberbullyist. <laughs> I mean, what does it take to supposed to be an expert in cyberbullying? You just know if you pick it, up that... It might be a night class at PCC, you, for all we know. You can sketch this bully, you know, the inside of the matchbook. You just know if you go to that radio TV interview report, uh, you're going to see her picture. Oh, by the way, speaking of interviews, next Monday, we're going to be talking to Bob Ralston, uh, pianist, keyboardist, organist uh, for the Lawrence Welk Show. That is next Monday without fail. There's a little bit of uh, unpleasantness uh, last week, and I... Uh, I failed to call him at the uh, the designated time. Is he mad at us? No, no. But it was that it was the, it was the worst. It was the worst kind of email. So Bob Ralston, who's the organist for the uh, Lawrence Welk Show, who was, and who's still touring, by the way, he's like seventy nine, still out on the road, like four days out of the week. Mm -hmm. So we were supposed to have him on on Friday, and I completely spaced it. I mean, it was my own fault. It just fell out of my brain. I just completely forgot about it. And there was this moment on Friday where I actually realized that I had forgotten. That I was like, oh crap. So I sent him an email. I'm like, sorry, you know, whatever. And but he sent back that uh, you know he sent back an email like five minutes later like Ron Dante did like all the pros do and he's like that's okay Rick I assumed that something really important had come up I know that your show wouldn't fail to call me unless it was an absolute emergency you let me know what works best for you and I will arrange according to your schedule and he was just like so gracious I felt like a di I just felt like such a dick I just felt like an absolute ass so uh, next Monday we'll be talking to Bob Ralston who is the organ player for the Lawrence Welk show outstanding very exciting. Keith Olbermann and Chris Matthews will no longer be anchoring live political events on the cable news network MSNBC. A report on the Washington Post say mounting complaints about the opinionated coverage of events like the recent Democratic and Republican comp, uh, conventions prompted the change. Both Olbermann and Matthews will provide uh, some sort of a talking at the upcoming presidential and vice presidential debates and also on election night in November. NBC White House correspondent David Gregory will take over as anchor for all these events. I dig uh, David Gregory. I mean, I like Chris Matthews and Keith Oberman. I don't really have any problem with it. I will say that Oberman does seem to be, you know, the whole, like, self-styled Murrow thing going on that kind of rubs me the wrong way sometimes. Chris Matthews is great only because he just becomes increasingly more fragile and harried as the night goes on. I mean, by the time you get to the end of the broadcast, Chris Matthews looks like he's just about to, to collapse into a pile of tears and sweat. I mean, his hair's all stringy. He looks like Jane North on some sort of a crack binge. You know what I mean? Well, weird things happen to him during the coverage. Apparently, 
they put some fan that was blowing his hair all over the place, but it, it had no effect on Keith Olbermann. It's no. almost as if Olbermann had a fan installed underneath the counter to blow his hair all over the place while he was talking. And, well, and Olbermann is just, as I've said before, he's just, you know, not a hair out of place, always very well put together. I mean, that guy has like $9,000 suits that he wears out of the house to go down and buy a bagel, I think. And meanwhile, Chris Matthews, Chris Matthews is one of those guys that just, he's never not disheveled. I mean, yeah. just, every time you look at Chris Matthews, he's always... He's like in some perma-rumpled state. Mm-hmm. I mean, you got the feeling he could just go pick up his, his, his suits, have them starched, cleaned, pressed, perfect, puts them on, three minutes. It's like how Homer Simpson would shave off his 5 o'clock shadow and would come back 30 seconds later. Chris Matthews, man, he could probably come right out of the laundromat and he would still look like he just spent the night sleeping in a gutter somewhere. And then it doesn't help him that he gets all, he gets all adenoidal when he talks like this and he gets uh, too much saliva in his mouth. And it just and he just looked like some melting spastic freak. And meanwhile, Oberman is just sitting there next to him, just looking like he came off the cover of GQ. So I don't think they like each other. Well, the funny thing is, Matthews is giving this long dissertation, thinking that that uh, Oberman is listening. And they and they cut to <laughs> Oberman, and he's reading vacation he's brochures, doodling, <laughs> doing the jumble, <laughs> just waiting for. I mean, it, it, is talking to me? Seriously, I mean, and Matthews, and you know, Matthews does that thing of just working himself up into a lather mm-hmm. about it, especially when he's talking to a correspondent, and he'll do that thing of like looking down to the left, and he starts to stammer and say, "I don't know, I don't, I don't know. Uh, maybe you can tell me what, um, what, what, what's going on at that convention. I just don't, I don't understand exactly what's going." And then you're right; they cut over to Keith Oberman, who really is just sitting there, like filing his nails, and you know, and reading the Rob report. I mean, this is the greatest, the greatest juxtaposition. But then, Oberman has got his own tics, though. Oberman's got that thing. I was talking to Court and Fatboy about this. Keith Oberman, who you talk about a guy who's just bounced from one weird job to another. I mean, it's hard to believe that that was the guy who anchored Sports Center for a long time. But you see him on MSNBC, and Oberman has got something down to an art. He's got it down to a science. And you know what that is? That's the self-righteous sort of stirring bombast. And you know that thing when he goes. And so I say to you tonight, shame on you, Mr. Bush, for sullying the name of this great nation. And don't you get I mean, the... He's a, he's a left-wing Limbaugh, totally. basically, is what he's become. Don't you get the feeling when Keith Olbermann speaks that about halfway through all of his speeches, in his head, he hears, like, stirring Aaron Copeland music beginning to play? Like, you, could, you know, I think in Keith Olbermann's head, as he's talking... Sort of everybody is like cutting to a montage of like blowing fields of wheat and a flag ruffling in the wind. So, all right, well, they'll be missed. Here's Tim Riley. Then a toddler in England is lucky to be alive after she was sucked down a drain and dragged 150 feet through an underground pipe after being thrown into the river. Wow. The toddler's father jumped into the water to rescue her. Fortunately, when the girl and her dog disappeared, the dad quickly realized he was happening, ran to the riverbank and plucked her from the swollen river. Jesus. Yeah, that... Then a father and son have been rescued after more than 12 hours at sea. A Florida man and his son rescued in the Atlantic after being swept away in the tide. Off the coast of where? Uh... Walter Marino and his son Chris, both from Florida, found early this morning. Uh, the father was found by a boater, and then the son, uh, several hours later, the two became separated after dark as they floated in three-foot swells. It appears the movies were not high on the activity list of many Americans this past weekend. Led by the new Nicolas Cage thriller, Bangkok Dangerous, whatever that might be. What? Are you kidding me? You haven't seen any ads for that? No. Oh, it looks like the biggest piece of crap. Bangkok Dangerous? It's called Bangkok Dangerous. Wait, why Bangkok Dangerous? Why wouldn't I even... I didn't even know it was coming out. Why... 
how have I somehow missed the fact that it was even being real? I don't even think I've ever heard of that film. It was some kind of like crazy assassin. So, yeah, Nicolas Cage. <sighs> All right. And he has like really bad long hair. Yeah. Anyway, it was uh, number one at the box office this past weekend. The lowest numbers in five years in the North American market. It is a remake of a Thai film of the same name. It opened at number one. With just $7.8 million in receipts. <laughs> well, you know, we have noted, by the way, that, first of all, nobody overacts like Nicolas Cage. I was talking to Fat Boy about that. You talk about just in terms of just bringing the ham. I mean, Nicolas Cage has got the gold medal in that. And also, he does have that well-known one good film to every seven bad films ratio. And I'm trying to remember right now the last good film Nicolas Cage made. Well, it would be Lord of War. And that came out maybe six years ago. So I say we got another three, four, five maybe bad films of his to go before we get something that's good. Well, the last box office champion to open Laura was David Spade's Dickie Roberts, former child star, that made $6.7 million when it was released September 2003. Boy, David Spade. Somebody right now, name the last good movie David Spade made. I was watching Just Shoot Me yesterday, and I was thinking about David Spade. What is the last good film he made? Anyone? Hmm. The last good film. And I don't mean like a walk-on. I mean, what was the last good film in which he had a substantial role? And if you say Joe Dirt... Candy. It... Joe Dirt's not that bad of a movie. Uh, I... Wait, is that him in that? That's him in the mullet. Him in the big power mullet. Oh, that is Because it's funny. Uh, I can't... With John Candy. What movie have you with John Candy? I'm thinking of somebody. Else. You're thinking of you're Chris no, Crowley. you're thinking of Tommy Boy. Yeah, yeah. Because was... Tommy Boy is a ripoff of Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. Right. I mean, it's a great film, but it's stolen from Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. Yeah. I can't remember the last really good David Spade. I think it might only Black he, Sheep. He, that's what I'm saying. He might only have had the two with Farley. Mm-hmm. Did you ever see Beverly Hills Ninja? No. Oh no. man. I would want to see that. I saw it. <laughs> I saw it in the theater. That's how dumb I am. Um, <laughs> it doesn't even have David Spade. It's just Chris Farley, and I think Chris Rock is in it too. So Chris Farley, you know, he made uh, Tommy Boy, and then he made Black Sheep, which is not as good, but I would say this. Tommy Boy is three-quarters as good as Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. Black Sheep is half as good as Tommy Boy. Beverly Hills Ninja is one-fiftieth as good as, like, the worst thing you've ever seen. Planes, Trains, and Automobiles is like the Citizen Kane of comedy. It really is. It's No, it's a classic. And, in fact, when Laura and I were in Kennewick a few weeks ago, it was on. Uh, for no readily apparent reason, and we sat and watched about 45 minutes of it before realizing we were late for dinner. I mean, it's it's so good, you get sucked into it. Um, you know, the thing about planes, trains, and automobiles, too, is they earn that sentiment that happens at the end, where he does the, Marine's dead. You know, they like, they earn it. They work for that. It's not cheap sentiment, because John Hughes really knows how to, how you know, how to, to build to those moments. Um, but, uh, but anyway, Beverly Hills Ninja, which is Chris Farley, I was opening my mouth now to describe the plot, and I can't remember anything about it. It's got a... I mean, Beverly Hills... Jewish? No, no. no. Well, he's been dead for 10 years, so it can't be that new. I mean, it's... uh, I mean, it came out, I think, maybe in... God, maybe... Was it a holiday movie? Maybe 95? I mean, I guess I'm not spending an inordinate amount of time talking about Beverly Hills Ninja, but it's not... But I'm, I'm realizing how... How bad it must have been that I can't even remember Who's anything about it. Ninja? It's Chris Farley and Chris Rock, but I can't remember anybody beyond that, nor can I remember anything about the plot. I can't remember a single joke. I can't remember any scenes or lines from it. I think there's something with Chris Rock being like a car rental guy. That's all I can remember. Well, we're going to move on. Here's Tim Riley. Longtime Washington Mutual Chief Executive Kerry Killinger has been shown the door. 
He's been credited with building the bank into one of the largest financial institutions in America through a series of acquisitions. His failure to integrate those deals and manage huge losses from subprime mortgages and credit card loans was his undoing. Wamu's new chairman, Stephen Frank, says, uh, well, he should retire. Uh, he has plenty of former banking chief executive company. The heads of Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac are out of work today. And we don't need to hear any more of that stuff because nobody really cares, to be honest with you. Uh, time for a penis watch. Here's your penis watch. This is what the people care about, Tim. Yes, they do. Here's your penis Take watch for Monday. Get my enormous penis. And my troubles start to melt. Giving the people what they want, Tim Rather. Take a look at my enormous penis. And everything is going my way. Here's Tim Riley with your penis watch for Monday. This is from the new vision, Uganda's leading website. <laughs> there must be two of, or three of them. A choice of two or three. A lot of competition for that title. A housewife <laughs> is on the run after she allegedly cut off her husband's penis after accusing him of marrying another woman. The woman identified as Helen Mama Gift of uh, Mubara is, hence, uh, is uh, suspected to have set her husband's vehicle on fire two days before cutting his penis off. Wait a minute. So she set his vehicle on fire, and he stuck around for a further two days. Yes. All right. Uh, Godfrey Samanda of Nukongo Village, that is in the sub-county uh, uh, of Luongo in the Musaka District. <laughs> Thanks for clarifying. Is now at the King of Musaka Hospital after being referred from the Cordova Hospital. I was confusing it with Eastern Luanda. Mm -hmm. Well, apparently at the uh, Mabara Hospital, they have uh, a record of... Uh, sewing penises back on, which is why he brought was brought there. Uh, when she brought him tea, he became suspicious, and uh, he was advised to share it, but she refused. I told her to give it to the children, and she poured it away. A member of the family, uh, oh my gosh, they're trying to speak English here and not doing a very good job, which further complicates my reporting. Let's, of the let's, let's hear it. Uh, Helen was further angered when Samantha stopped giving her the money that he had earned and instead kept it in the vehicle. Okay, so that's probably the reason why she set it on fire. The district police commander, Haruna Ashkapai, said uh, he had not received a report about the incident. The secretary of Nukungu, <laughs> Jeffrey Nwanga, said the matter has been reported to Moranga Police. Uh, the great thing about this is there's more detail in this. Probably than there are in most American news uh, stories. We just don't know what any of it means. Sure. Well, the residents have threatened to lynch Helen. Maybe the officers at the police post are still making inquiries, but the information has not yet reached my desk, said the sheriff. That's what he told the uh, the reporter for New Vision. I'm so lost. leading <laughs> <laughs> Well, medical officials at Musaka Hospital say they have successfully rejoined Samantha's penis, and uh, he has been treated with antibiotics. So Okay. There you go. He's back to it again. Huh. There's your penis watch for Take a look at my enormous penis. Wow. And my troubles start to melt away. That's one heck of a story, Tim. You really did a great job of powering through that. Are we supposed to be talking to Jim Roof right about now? Hey, uh, Richie, we ought to uh, maybe see if we can rustle up Jim Roof. I know he's. Uh, it might be a busy day for him because he's covering the OJ, the opening day. I guess maybe not the opening day. Did it start on the Friday? When did the OJ thing start? I don't know. I've been disinterested. All right. Well, I am extremely interested. I just am not interested enough to know actually when it began. Uh, well, we'll figure it out. It's a busy day for him. He'll here. get away with it. He always does. Here's Tim Riley. A truck tailed <laughs> boy who suffered a fractured skull in a skateboarding accident had his bike and skateboard stolen just weeks after he was fully recovered. 
Johnny Hanley suffered the injuries at a skate park earlier this summer. Hasn't been able to ride for months. He hoped to return to riding and skateboarding in a matter of weeks. Apparently, a thief stole his bike and skateboard from the family's front yard in Gresham. That should come to the surprise of no one. Uh, the boy's mother said her neighborhood typically feels safe, aside from a rash of car burglaries that, <laughs> that included her Honda. Other than that, it's a flawless neighborhood. Aside from a rash of car burglaries mm. that included her Honda. All right. It's just sad and frustrating for me that someone would walk up and take it. And I feel bad because, well, he should have been back skateboarding again. Uh, Johnny has been caught off guard. I can't believe it's gone because I liked it so much. Well, dreams are always dashed in Gresham, I guess. Yes, they are. Uh, Jennifer Hadley said she plans to continue looking in the area with a mongoose BMX a bike and the Element Skateboard. It has Guitar Hero stickers on it. Uh, here's an email that says, uh, Rick, I have a question that needs answering. Uh, what is that? Okay, now I've thought of this. Tim, you won't know what I'm referring to here because it's in South well, Portland. Uh, but this guy says, what is that religious camping complex that's about four blocks south of Woodstock on 52nd? It looks like some kind of jail. For, this is him saying this. I'm not saying it is a jail. But he says, it looks like some jail or prison camp. You know, I've thought about that thing, too. Do you know what I'm talking about? I don't think so. South of Woodstock? Okay, if anybody knows, it's it's four blocks south of Woodstock on 52nd. If you know the place, I'm th- I don't know the name of it. So it's a jail or a prison camp? No, no, no. no. It, well, it, no, it is it is some sort of religious camping complex. It's very it, it's very bizarre. Um, he says it looks like a jail or a prison camp, and it does. It, it apparently isn't either of those. It's some sort of religious. I hate to use the word compound because in the Northwest it has a little bit of a loaded. Uh, that's a bit of a loaded word in this part of the country, but. Um, but it's like um, it's like a bunch of very small uh, wooden sort of sheds, and there's like 50 of them right next to each other in rows, all on this lot that is in turn circled with like heavy metal fencing. Are they like so? There's sheds. Is it just some like some shed place? It, 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 but it's not like a storage facility. I mean, they look like they're like tiny miniature one-room houses. Uh, it's it's and like it's religious. It's on about yeah because the, because the sign out front actually says I forget the name of it. The sign out front actually denotes that it is it is some kind of religious place. It is it, it belongs to some sort of religious group. But it's like uh, I'm trying to think of how to even describe them. But they but they look at this sounds dumb. But imagine like uh, like a big tent but made out of wood. Mm. Basically those those dimensions and that sort of you know that sort of size and layout. It's like a wooden tent. Uh, so maybe like about the size of this studio, but like a small wooden sort of shed, hut, uh, you know, cabana, whatever. It's not a parking lot, but it's like a big empty lot that is sort of then covered with, um, you know, surrounded by fencing. So it's, it's really weird. It looks like, um, like a whole bunch of tiny little, uh, you know, like, like you get those, uh, beachfront houses or whatever, like those, those summer rentals where you live, you know, like on the beach. It looks like a bunch of those, or maybe like really big lifeguard towers, a whole bunch of really big lifeguard towers, but low to the ground, and there's like 50 of them on this lot surrounded by all this fencing. It's the weirdest looking place. I'm not I'm sure there's nothing untoward going on there, but it, it's, the, it's the strangest looking place. I'm it's, going around that area today. I'm going to... Mar and I drove by it the other day, actually. Uh, let's see if see. they're accepting applications. Let's welcome... <laughs> So welcome to the Rick Emerson Show from Las Vegas, Nevada. The odds are 9 and 10. This call will be genius. It's Jim Roof. Hello. <laughs> How no? are you? How are you, sir? What's up? How is it? Is it hot where you are? 
It's uh, it's Africa hot. It's 105, 106, something oh. like that. And that's just now that's not even on the ground. That's just like the air is 105. Oh yeah, it's uh, it's one of those uh, breathing in a furnace kind of thing. Yeah, where you walk out and it's like somebody kicked you in the uh, crotch. That's right. Yeah. Uh, all right. So, I don't, you know, for as, as interested as I am in the sort of OJ trial in theory, I realize that I've sort of lost track of the details here. So, has it started? Is it going to start? Did it already start? It started. Uh, it officially started today with jury selection. Testimony hasn't started. Opening statements haven't happened. But the trial officially started today with jury selection. And there are there were 500. They filled out questionnaires. Out of that 500, they screened out 252. Now they have 248 left. They had the first 86 in this morning. She excused 12. 18 just plain old didn't show. And and now she's she took that whatever it was left, took 50 of those folks, and she's talking to them now uh, about, you know, reminding them that this is not Los Angeles 1995, mm. that they're not here to punish O.J. Simpson for what they think should have happened to him 13 years ago, that they are here to hear this case and this case only. And if they can't do that, they need to tell her. And everybody says, no, I can do it. Doesn't it seem like we're getting to a point in American history where eventually we will have some high-profile trial that can never begin because they can never find 12 people? Well, it is, it's is—it's impossible to pick 12 people anymore that don't know something about a case. Right. And the technology is such that we just have instant access to everything. So if someone tells you, I don't know anything about it or I know very little about it, then they're, they either live in a cave or they're idiots, and you don't want them on a jury. So you have to just kind of pick 12 people or find 12 people, which is why you got to start with 500, that can honestly, or the best to your knowledge and or your ability to judge people, that can really sit there, no matter what they know, and say, I'll just listen to what is presented to me here, make my decision on this case with that evidence. Yeah. If you can find 12 people that can really do that, you can get a fair trial. But I don't think that's possible. No, and you know, and, and the jury system, uh, you know, as sort of uh, perfected by the Greeks and now is used by us, uh, you know, is really it's the it's the best we got, and it's it's better than the other systems. But as you said, it's just uh, anything that comes down to the judgment or honesty or morality of individual human beings is just doomed to failure at some level. And so it is with this. I mean, you, as you said, you're just never going to be able to find 12 people that either don't know anything about, in this case, O.J. Simpson, or have no opinion on him. I mean, it's just ludicrous. So, yeah, here's the, I mean, and you could see the evidence here because there are jurors that stand up and say, "Yeah, I watched the trial gavel to gavel 13 years ago, and I have my preconceived notions of what should have happened." The judge says, "Do you think you can listen to this evidence here right. and judge him solely on what you see here?" And they smile and go, "Yeah, I think so." Come on, uh, yeah. it was an agenda. What is the? And Simpson, Simpson's looking at mandatory jail time if he's convicted of burglary, life with the possibility of parole if he's convicted on the kidnapping. So, I mean, he's looking seriously at some real jail time. You know, this is almost like that movie Final Destination, uh, you know, where uh, you're supposed to die in a plane crash or something and it doesn't happen. My buddy Dan Roebuck's in that movie. Really? Okay, well, there you go, the guy that was in the yeah. couple with you. Yeah, so yeah, so it's like, you know, the Grim Reaper misses you the first time, and so then every time you walk underneath, a, you know, a window, an anvil starts falling out on you. So, I mean, that's almost it almost starts to look like it, you know... It will be very interesting. Let me put it this way. It'll be very interesting if, if this sort of comes, you know, if O.J. gets uh, convicted on something substantial enough to put him away for a long period of time. Well, you know, he is he is typically uh, uh, um, comfortable. I mean, it, it's weird. He's, he's 
he's laughing and waving to people and and talking in the courtroom with his bail bondsman, you know, and and all that kind of stuff. And he he seems he I think he really believes he's going to skate on this one too. Do you suppose at it's this point? Weird to me. Do you suppose at this point OJ just feels invulnerable? Yes. Oh, he does. I mean, it's it, it does. You know, you I think you do reach some sort of a. Some sort of a point where you, uh, I don't know, you just believe yourself to be beyond the, to be beyond the reach of whatever. So, uh, what well, this could really hurt him because you got three of the guys, uh, that allegedly did this with him, mm-hmm. um, that are testifying against him now. Uh-huh. I mean, granted, these guys are as dirty as the bottom of your shoe, but still, <laughs> they're, they're, they're working for the prosecution now. Uh, you know, this, this world is just one big circus, man. It really is. I love it, baby. I love it. Me too. Uh, so and, you... then to, and then to have this thing here oh, in yeah. Las Vegas, I mean, you got to take a shower after the court day. I have to ask you, uh, is there a Vegas line on the outcome of the trial? I haven't heard one. I honestly haven't. I, I was asking around the hotel. No one's, no one even cares, honestly. Uh, and, so... and even the, uh, poor, the, the poor deputies here in the courthouse, you know, they're going, I wish you guys had something better to do. Yeah. But believe me, I do, man. I just got to do what my boss tells me. You know, really, the irony here is that you and I probably care about this job more than OJ does at this point. So, uh, <laughs> I think you're right. All right. Well, uh, where are you uh, Are you at least able to, uh, to go out and uh, live a little, little bit of the high life there after the day is over? No, no. I got in late last night, and uh, so it's been just kind of nonstop work. All right. Well, and then I gotta, then I gotta go back tomorrow, and then come back for opening. I'm only here for the first two days of oh. jury selection. All right. Well, and then I, then I come back for opening statements. And then it stretches on into infinity. Oh, don't say that to me, sir. <laughs> don't say that to me. Man. All right. Uh, I was gonna. I had something else to ask you, but I can't remember what the hell it is. All right. Uh, I'll let you get back to the heat. I know you miss it. All right, boss. All right. Thank you, Jim Roop, ladies and gentlemen, in Las Vegas. You know what Jim Roop is? I mean, this is the best way. Jim Roop is really every man because he is just long-suffering. I mean, I, I remember watching, I used to watch The Sopranos, and there was this great scene in The Sopranos one time. Nothing was even said. There was no real dialogue. It was like Carmela, Tony was sitting at the kitchen. He was sitting at the kitchen counter having cereal or eating breakfast or something. And Carmela was like in the kitchen doing something or other, talking about whatever. And AJ and, and Meadow Soprano were bitching about something in the living room. And it was just this long shot on Tony Soprano as he was eating breakfast. And here's a guy who's very powerful. Yeah, you know, he's connected, a lot of money, whatever. But he's just sitting there, and he's just kind of like hunched over, and he's eating his breakfast. And he's got the heavy-lidded, sort of half-closed eyes. And it's just that look on his face like, why? Why do I have this stupid life? Stupid kids, stupid everything, stupid Stupid job, stupid. And it was just it was just the best little piece of facial acting because you could just see everything on his face where he was just like, God damn, another day of this crap and stupid life. And Jim Roop just has that vibe all over him, which is what makes him so wonderful and relatable. Oh, let's get to these. Uh, some people know what the deal is with that church thing. And then we'll have more news from Tim Riley. Then we'll break. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Hello. Hey, Rick, how you doing? What's up? Hey, uh, the place is actually called the Apostolic uh, Faith Center. I okay. Did some, uh, I did some roofing on there in that complex last summer, and what they have is they have like a bunch of camps and seminars in the summer, and they'll bring in just lots of Winnebago's and people, and they all just hang out in all those little tiny huts. So do those huts move around, or are they stationary? They, uh, they actually have a, a couple of forklifts that move the huts around, but for the most part, they're stationary, and they all have like a, a bed and a table. And they're uh, they're just very creepy looking. Seriously, I mean, it, 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 I guess that the cabin is the word I was looking for. They are like log cabins, just not made out of logs. Right. The, these tiny little, little square tiny houses. Little, 
square huts with uh, just uh, just very shantily made. Yeah. And just uh, just very creepy. Yeah. Apparently, this, somebody says uh, they were started in the early 1900s. They hold a yearly meeting there. You know, again, I'm sure there's nothing. You know, whatever. To each his own. But you got to go by and check it out. It's 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 just a weird looking place because, as you said, it's a fenced off compound, a huge lot, and then there's just dozens of these tiny little wooden cabins. Uh, just one after the other after just rows of them. I mean, it's like it's it is like some insane Levittown tract housing thing. I mean, it's like some it's like some weird over the top parody so of what little suburban there? houses would look like. No, it was totally empty. Huh. So, all right, thank you, sir. Thank you. All right, there you go. Yeah, the apostolic faith religion. Yeah, it's just it's just weird. Um, you know, and you know, Portland does have any number of uh. Any number of uh, unique religious groups, uh, you know, here in the Northwest. So, you know, what are you going to do? Here's Tim Riley. Are we back again? Well, let's do a couple more and then we'll break. All right. Well, a uh, very overweight man, uh, apparently it was like his life was saved when a bullet fired at him was trapped in his layers of fat. Really? Yes. Ralph Middlehouse, who's 49, didn't even notice he was shot until he was examined after reporting the attack to police two days later. The way you were attacking me, I heard a loud bang. But I've been drinking, really didn't know what was going on. Didn't feel any pain. Medics found the bullet stuck in rolls of fat. Oh. And they rolled him out on an, uh, an examining table. So, so to speak. During a routine examination for injuries. It barely pierced the skin and was smothered by all the fat around it. Oh, smothered by fat? Mm-hmm. Oh, that's great. Yeah. Okay. So we've had people who didn't know they were pregnant. People who didn't know they had a 142-pound cyst. Right. This guy didn't know he'd been shot. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe they are jolly. I mean, it doesn't mean to cover myriad sins. All right. You know, if we were a morning show, we'd find a really obesely fat person in the audience, and we'd hide money in his folds. Hey, morning shows, you all can have that idea right now. You're going to call it, wait a minute, what would we call it? Uh, fat, fat cash? No. I'm trying to think of something like a money Fat clip or rolled rolls of cash, roll of money roll, high roller, high roller, mm. uh, fold folding folding money, folding folding cash, fold. You know what I'm talking about? We've got a, this is a brainstorming session. Flab, uh, Tim, help out. We can have it on Tuesday and call it Fat Tuesday. <gasps> there you go, dude. Look at you, Playa. All right, fantastic. All right. So that's uh, Hack Morning Shows. This is an idea. We don't just give ideas to the uh, you know the big thinkers. This is an idea now to kooky morning shows everywhere. Yeah, morbidly fat person, big rolls. But the deal is you hide bills of varying denominations in the folds all over their body. Listeners got to pick one fold to reach into. Maybe they reach in. Maybe it's a quarter. Maybe it's a Benjamin. You know what I mean? So there you go. Fat Tuesday. You gotta pick a fold. You reach in. Hey, it's a one dollar bill. Somebody else reaches into a different fold. Hey, it's a fifty. You reach into another one. Tickets to Nickelback. All right, this is a great idea. I mean, not for us. Somebody else could do that. There you go. Fat Tuesday, uh, created by the Rick Emerson Show, uh, but now given uh, to you because uh, the Rick Emerson we have uh, we really just have more uh, you know just more creativity than we than we know what to do with. So. Uh, Y'all can have that. This joke copyrighted 2008 Rick Emerson Show. Hey, yours to use. Back after this. Uh, it's 503-733-2970. More from Tim Riley around the corner. Uh, we'll also find out what job is Richie applying for tonight. We'll play uh, Saturday Night Live trivia for tickets to see Dennis Miller and the top five Jane songs. Stay there. So I pull over to the side of the road I heard. Son, do you know why? 
It's uh, 503-733-2970. Here's what's coming up today. We'll have our birth of a salesman entrant for today. As we, uh, I think we're getting near the end of the, uh, the 10. We're doing 10. I think I'm legally not allowed to call them callbacks. We'll be having 10 phone conversations with semi-semi-finalists. Is there a word to delineate something that is beyond semi? In other words, there's finalists. There's semi-finalists. What is the thing before you're a semi-finalist? Is there a word for that? I'm speaking into a void now, aren't I? No. No, no there isn't. You're just saying that to make the question go away. Yes. <laughs> I love you, Tim Riley. Uh, all right. Jesus. All right, we're going to do news here. Then we're going to uh, play Don't Call About This Yet. We're going to do uh, Saturday Night Live trivia uh, for a pair of tickets to see Dennis Miller this coming Saturday. He's actually going to be there Friday and Saturday. Uh going to be a pair of tickets to see him this coming Saturday at Spirit Mountain Casino. And I think we're going to be talking to him either tomorrow, Wednesday, something like that. Uh, let's see what else. Then uh, we'll talk to Richie Bristol uh, to find out. Uh, we'll play 20 questions to see what uh, gig Richie Bristol is applying for later on today. Uh, we'll talk a little bit more about Mad Men with uh, Christopher Paddock uh, from KUFO. More from Tim. Top five Jane songs. Blah, 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 blah. By the way, Tim Riley, your idea for the Fat Tuesday thing where you have a fat guy with lots of folds and you pull the money out? Yes. Greatest idea. Okay, so it's the Fat Tuesday promotion, but here's the deal. Each Tuesday, like if we were like a terrible morning show, every Tuesday is Fat Tuesday and you do some sort of girth-related gag uh, because, you know, that's where the comedy comes from. That's comedy with a K. But that particular promotion, and I want to thank, uh, let's see, I want to thank Mark for being the first to come up with this. That, of course, is the billfold contest. <laughs> See, that's a double pun right there. Ladies and gentlemen, the Ministry of Truth, Tim Riley. And now, no. though, from the Ministry of Truth, this is Tim Riley. A feisty gal is accused of threatening to kill her boyfriend with a golf club during a rampage in Florida. That is feisty. Mm -hmm. Shannon Thornton is charged with aggravated assaulting criminal mischief after Palm Bay police were called to the home to investigate a report of a disturbance. Police said uh, Thornton was at home when she got into a heated argument with her boyfriend. The argument escalated and Thornton threw a can of furniture polish at the boyfriend. Then she went for the golf club. Thornton screaming she was going to hurt him then overturned the television set as he ran for his life, locked himself into a nearby bathroom. Thornton told police she was attempting to protect herself. She's been arrested and taken to jail. Please tell me that he's taking her back because she's really a good woman inside. Doesn't say that. All right, because that's, that's how these stories always end. He's a good man. Oh, by the way, quarterfinalist is the word we were looking for. Finalist, semifinalist, quarterfinalist. So uh, quarterfinalist being talked to right now, semifinalist next week. Uh, and then the top three uh, go to talk to a general sales manager, Michael Fashana. Here's Tim Riley. Well, actor Gary Coleman, is that still an accurate? <laughs> I was just, I was actually going to say, actor like Gary guard. Coleman. When does, when does that description no longer fit the bill? Hmm. Well, he hit a pedestrian with his truck after arguing with him in a local bowling alley in Payson, Utah. Acting like he still matters, Tim. Payson? Payson. What was he doing in... Payson is like. Do you know where that is? Oh yeah, that's. I Maybe mean, he was pacing back and forth, waiting for police to arrive. No, no. Uh, yeah, no, no. Payson's a Payson's a fly spec. I mean, I know where it is. I mean, I spent a lot of time there. But Payson's a it's a tiny little dirt hole in Utah. Is that what the Chamber of Commerce calls it? More or less. Welcome to Payson, a tiny little unimportant dirt hole filled with stupid people. Except for Gary Coleman. Uh huh. Uh, apparently, uh, let's see. Somebody uh, got into an argument with him in the early morning hours over pictures. 
that this person had taken of Coleman inside a bowling alley. The argument continued outside, and Coleman hit this fellow, rushed in, and a current that uh, apparently he was back out of a parking space. So we don't know if this is, well, he meant to do that. Neither man was issued a citation. It isn't clear whether Coleman hit the man on purpose. Neither was giving authorities much information. We're trying to sort out these issues. We're very busy here in Payson. We've been <laughs> no, able that's to establish- a lie. We- that's a lie. Well, after a thorough investigation, they have established there was an argument between the two <laughs> due to pictures that this man wanted to take. He took pictures of Gallery Coleman, and he wasn't happy about it. So the victim was taken to the hospital to be treated for minor injuries and released. Uh, nobody's commenting. The Salt Lake Tribune said there are indications that alcohol is a factor in the accident. Uh, Coleman starred in the television sitcom Dip Rent Folks from 1978 to 1986, encouraging people to spell different wrongly. You know, I never understood why there was an apostrophe in different strokes. That is true. Don't get Dip me wrong. Rent. Fine sitcom, you know, whatever. All it needs is rent, right? Well, all it needs is one more letter. What's the big deal? Yeah, that's what I'm saying. It's the same and number. And cheap? And it, well, no, because here's the thing. Here's why, and I know we're, this is the very definition of overthinking. This is the thing that only this show would do. Mm-hmm. Here's the thing about spelling different strokes with an apostrophe in the middle. First of all, WTF. Second of all, you're not even saving space because it's the same number of characters. You yeah, know what I mean? That's what I'm wondering. It's the same reason why people say L.A., but people don't say N.Y. Because when you say L.A., you're saving a lot of syllables. When well, you say, you know, New York and N.Y. are the same, which is why you don't say N.Y. They're using the same number of characters by putting that apostrophe there. It's it doesn't only make any one sense. square E. Like, there's a shortage of them. I mean, and is that like a common... Phoneticism of that word, I've different. I've never seen it that way before. I've never seen it anywhere but in the opening credits for different strokes. Mm-hmm. I've never, ever, ever, in any kind of advertising or marketing, seen different spelled where they're dropping the apostrophe. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we're like a waffles and more kind of a thing. I've never seen that anywhere else. Uh, also, let me say this the different strokes theme song is fantastic. Not as good as the Jeffersons. I mean, the Jeffersons is the greatest TV theme song ever. But the Different Strokes theme song, not bad. You know what we don't have right now? We don't have any good, sort of vaguely gospel-tinged television theme songs. They're just not around. Uh, I mean, we really, one of those, you know, the closest you got is um, that, that Down in the Hole song, uh, The Wire used. But even that, you know, it's Tom Waits. You know, it wasn't really like a gospel thing. But it's sort of a religious revival kind of song. There's no television show right now has the good gospel theme song going on. Like, the Jefferson's had that sort of a vibe to it. I think it's time for that to come back. Well, that in three-quarters of, you know, the television schedule back then was laugh track filled sitcoms. It's true. They're all gone. Uh, all right. Gary Coleman also blah, blah, blah. Don't you think Gary Coleman would just be happy that somebody wanted to take his photo right about now? You would think so. And thirdly, and Tim, you you know, you've worked much more in the Hollywood system than, you know, probably anybody else I know. So I know that maybe this goes with that saying, but don't you think Gary Coleman, what, did his parents blow all that money or something? Because the name Gary Coleman made enough money, he could just be living on an island somewhere, being fanned with palm fronds. Yeah. I mean, what is up with that? Do you know? I don't know. I mean, I'm not saying you know Gary Coleman personally, but I, I mean... I never went into him. But, you know, but would you say that in America, if you get a good run on a, on a decent sitcom that runs, you know, into syndication, mm-hmm. that's... I mean, you got enough money there to, to, to be taken care of. I would think so. So I don't understand why people who get a sufficient amount of money... You know, are doing anything. Let me tell you this: If I got that, if I had a sufficient amount of money, man, I would be living in a fortified compound on Fiji right now, speaking to no one, having no conversations with anyone, probably not even leaving my house. I mean, that's the thing. If I if I trip in, you know, those Powerball. Well, he won 185 million dollars, but he says he's going to go back to the box making factory tomorrow because he loves to work. F that. Seriously, I love the show, love the job. 
best audience ever. All, I win $200 million. I am gone. And I am gone. You, you won't even hear a goodbye. You're going to go to my website. It's going to be 404, error, gone. You will never hear from me again. At the peak of his career, he made $70,000 per episode, a total of $18 million in earnings. His parents set up a trust fund, yet structured the arrangement to name themselves as paid employees. When the company dissolved the trust, the parent share was worth $770,000, while Coleman himself was only worth 220000 no. He then successfully sued his parents for $3.8 million. So what happened to that money? I, I don't know. Well, even if you figure $3.8 million, even if you figure the man takes half, that's, that's 1.9. Even if you figure the lawyer takes half of that, which you probably wouldn't, that's still a million dollars. Free, that's a million dollars after legal fees, after taxes. Uh, and I, it, it would seem to me also that if you had a million dollars, if invested properly, a yes. million dollars, you know, you can be largely set up on that just through the investing of it. Mm -hmm. So I remember reading this interview with goddamn Kurt Cobain. Uh, when he was talking about being rich, he's like, well, you know, if you'd told me when I was a kid that a million dollars wouldn't be enough to live on, I wouldn't have understood. But now I know it's true. And I, I remember reading this, and I'm eating my boxed macaroni, mm -hmm. reading this interview with Kurt Cobain. Kurt Cobain, of all people, said, well, a million dollars is enough to live on, and just desperately just, just wishing for something bad to happen to him. So it's good to know that the Lord answers prayers every now and again. Um, Anyway, but, you know, but, you know, Laura and I have had the discussion with, you know, like a financial person about, like, hey, how can we not be so desperately poor and lonely? And it, when the financial person says to you, like, so what is it you're trying to accomplish with your finances? You know, what is your goal? And it was all I could do not to tell the financial person, look, I would like to have enough money in 15 years that I don't ever have to talk to anybody ever again about anything. And I didn't put it that way because that makes me sound like a psychopath. But r really, that's the goal, right? Like, right. you just want to have enough money that you can live in a saline-filled egg floating in outer space and never have to speak to another person. And there's really no box you can check there on the financial planning form for that. There's, you know, plan for retirement. Take care of ailing elderly relatives. There's no box for, you know, I'd like a big pile of FU money so I can tell everybody I know to get bent forever. Uh, there really ought to be a box. I would like to... Okay, here's another idea, Tim. Mm -hmm. We ought to start a financial planning service, what with all of my economic acumen. We ought to start a financial plan, uh, financial planning service just called FU money. Because that's a, that's a known phrase. You know, people say, what do you want? I want FU money. Uh, and that's the money. So if, like, boss becomes a jerk, somebody starts nagging at you, you know, people start the, the pressuring you, you have enough money just to go F you and you're out. So somebody ought to form a financial advice company simply called that, called FU Money Incorporated. And you come up with some actual, you know, some sort of plausible explanation as to why you need that acronym. I'm not talking about things only I care about. Here's Tim Riley. Time for Geek Watch. Here's your Geek Watch for uh, Monday on the Rick Emerson radio program. Ugh, this high-speed modem is intolerably slow. In the Queen's Arts and Lemon, I remember you used to... Just a television show. That's all, okay? <laughs> right, but because we were wondering if the quantum flux... Just listen on there, there is no quantum flux. There's no auxiliary. There's no goddamn shit. You got it? Better does. Digital video recorders just don't save TV shows. They save relationships. Some 79% of 1,000 DVR owners report the technology has improved their relationship. The uh, statistic was just one of many presented by the NDS, Manufacturer DVR Technology, suggesting the machines are becoming increasing in U.S. households. Well, they're indispensable. You tried it. I mean, I could not function without my TiVo at no. this point. I just couldn't. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, for instance, DVRs are cited as the second most essential household technology item. They can't live without second only to mobile phones. Also, uh, the DVR is beaten out uh, only by washing machines and microwave ovens. Okay, wait, hold on. Let's go back to this for a second. Uh, by the way, you're listening to KCMD Portland. itself indispensable. Uh, all right. So, all right, Tim, if you had to get rid of one of the following things, you had to get rid of either microwave, mm-hmm. cell phone, mm-hmm. DVR. What, what would you get rid of of those three? Cell phone. If you could only keep one of them? What would it be? Microwave. All right. Sarah, microwave, cell phone. Well, you don't use your TV, though. No. Okay, microwave, cell phone, or your laptop. Which one I'd get rid of? Which one would you get rid of? Mm, cell phone. Okay, for six months, let's say. Ooh, You'd get rid of your cell phone for six months? Yeah, because like, everyone I communicate with on my cell phone, I communicate with on the Internet. See, there you go. See, and that's the thing. With the Internet, you can communicate with almost anybody, even if they themselves are on a cell phone, mm. right? You can probably sound like a little like a thing to their phone. I really uh, don't even need a phone. If you could, you know, it, there are times when it really does, it really does appeal to you just to be like, I'm not reachable. I'm sorry, I just won't be here. It is a safe, safety item I carry with me all the time, and that's it. Is that in case of uh, being set upon by bikers? Because, you know, there, there's a riot or an earthquake somewhere. Yep. Uh, you can get one of those old person phones. Uh, wait, hold on. It's right here. They they sell it right here in the Farmer's, Farmer's Almanac, Tim. I just saw it the other day. Is that the one you crank up? Yeah. No, gas-powered. Uh no, I just oh here we go, Tim. It's the uh, it's the jitterbug. Uh, it's the world's oh, simplest the world's simplest cell phone experience. Ten dollars a month, and then this is how you this is like the station that we don't play rap or heavy metal. Here's here's the marketing pitch for this phone. This is on uh, page seven of the Farmer's Almanac. It doesn't play games, take pictures, or give you the weather. It's a cell phone that's changing all the rules, Tim. And then they have the bullet points here. It makes calling simple. Large, bright, easy-to-see display and buttons. Uh, no contract required. And then listen to this. This is an interesting selling point for this phone. An operator is always available to help you and will call you by name. Isn't that interesting? First that of all, I don't know how they'd know that unless I guess they must have their own proprietary operators. Mm-hmm. And they know from your number what your name is. But it's interesting they must have done some focus grouping to figure out that old people... Want to be called by name when they're you know using customer service, which my which is different from I think most of us because I don't do you like it when the person at the store at the, the grocery store calls you by name? No, it, I don't like because it at all. You have to look at the receipt. It creeps me out, and I find it. I don't like them like saying it in front of people behind standing behind you. It's seriously. like maybe I don't want this weirdo who's standing by me to know my name. Hello, Miss Dylan. Mm. <laughs> Hello, Miss Dylan, public figure who gets stalkers. Uh, the uh, and then the other thing is. You know, it's it's like a fake familiarity thing too. It's it's, it's sort of like a, you know, they're sort of pretending uh, to know who I am. Let's see. Anyway, familiar. Oh, and here's the other great thing about this cell phone, Tim, the Jitterbug cell phone. Mm-hmm. There, first of all, it says here in big letters, hearing aid compatible, and familiar dial tone confirms that you have service. It, it is a, a cell phone. Tone. It's right here, one of the bullet points. Okay, there is so a cell is phone a with a dial tone. That's a phone for old people. That is. And perhaps for Tim. All right. I don't know what I don't we're talking about. I don't even want a phone. Let's do uh, one more here, and then we'll uh, talk to the salesperson entry. Uh, we'll do uh, Dennis Miller tickets, and then we'll uh, talk to Richie Bristol. Uh, let's see here. I had another breaking story. Oh, are we done with the Geek Watch? Uh, oh, yes. All right. There's your Geek Watch. For, uh... My Grabstar's hammer. By the sons of Warvan. I shall avenge you. Next. Loneliness and cheeseburgers are a dangerous mix. Excellent. Let's do one more here. A British woman was the victim of a gang attack who poured 16 pints of milk over her and ran away. The woman was walking home alone in the early morning hours, and the gang of six men surrounded her and poured 16 pints of milk over her. 
They're described as white males in their 20s. Only four of them actually poured the milk, though. After pouring the milk over the woman, they just ran away. It's not clear exactly how authorities had determined it was exactly 16 pints of milk. They didn't perform singing in the rain? Apparently not. The woman is understandably upset about the whole experience. That seems very, uh, that seems very, very droog-like, that behavior. It does. All right. Uh, let's see, I thought I had another one here. Vancouver's fireworks could fizzle without new funding. And that's a big fireworks display on the 4th of July, isn't it? So it uh, may go away. The uh, future of it is up in the air. The trust that produces the hugely uh, popular community party and fireworks show alerted the mayor, whose name is Pollard, and the city council that the current financial structure will no longer sustain the event. Uh, projections estimated that the Vancouver National Historic Reserve Trust would have $300,000 in 2009. Well, it's not going to help because the fireworks cost $450,000 to produce. And the price of everything is going up. Well, okay. So uh, they might char- start charging people even more to get in if they want to. So not only do you live in Vancouver, but now you're actually going to be paid to see something that momentarily prettifies the city. Yes. The unkindest cut of all, Tim. It is. All right. Uh, we'll talk to uh, Richie. Can we obtain the birth of a salesman entrant here? Um, and uh, let's see. So let's do this. We will talk to the birth of a salesman entrant. Uh, then we will uh, play SNL trivia for Dennis Miller tickets. Then we'll talk to Richie and find out what Richie's outside gig may be. Uh, if he uh, performs correctly at the interview today, then we'll have more news from Tim Riley. Then we'll do the uh, then we'll do the top five. Let me just, uh, without further ado, hey, when does the uh, when does season three of Dexter premiere? I thought it was September, but it might be November. Yeah, I don't think it, it hasn't it hasn't uh, started yet though, has it? No, I think it might be like November third or something. All right. I uh, I of course don't know anything about this, but the uh, the word on the street from the kids is that uh, the first episode of season three has already uh, leaked out onto the Intertron. I don't know that that's the case. I mean, I'm just saying that's a... Wait, are you, are you just... I'm saying I've heard. You've heard? I have heard from people uh, that uh, that episode one, season three of Dexter, uh, is already uh, loose in the wild. That's just a rumor. I can't confirm that. Really? Anywho, I'm just saying it's a rumor. Welcome now to the uh, Rick Emerson Show, the latest entrant in the AM970 Birth of a Salesman contest. We're asking uh, people to submit 100 words or less why they would like to be the next great American salesperson. We're going to talk to 10 on the phone, 5 in the studio, 3 will go upstairs and talk to AM970 General Sales Manager Michael Pashana. Perhaps one will get the gig. This entry says, I'm a recent transplant to Portland with a broadcasting degree from Marquette University. Looking to get back into radio after two years off. I have previous experience working for... Crystal 93 in Dillon, Colorado, and can submit a resume and references upon request. More importantly, I'm a fan of the show. I guess the station, by extension, I'd be a great addition to the sales staff because I have no fear of making cold calls. I would also be a great addition to the AM970 staff because I understand teamwork. Also, I can carry heavy stuff and reach stuff on high shelves. All right, so well, there you go. All right, let's welcome now to the Rick Emerson Show, uh, Steve. Hello, Steve. Hi, how are you doing? I am fantastic. How are you, sir? Not bad at all. All right. So uh, now, wait. Now, do you currently live in Portland? Are you living? Where are you living right now? Currently living in Southwest Portland. All right. You were living in Southwest, and you are originally from where? Minneapolis. You are from Minneapolis. So, how is it? Uh, first of all, here's a dumb question. Where's Marquette University? It's in Milwaukee. All right. So, you're, how is it that you go from being in Minneapolis to to getting broadcasting uh, the broadcasting degree in, in Milwaukee to going to Colorado to come in here? How did that happen? Well. The college one's easy to explain. Um, you go to whatever college accepts you. Fair enough. Touche. All right. And uh, 
then after a couple of years of schooling, you decide uh, maybe the real world isn't exactly what you want right away, so you put your degree in your back pocket, move to Colorado, and uh, become a ski bum. While I was there, I didn't just work for the radio station. I My main job was working at a ski resort. Now, Richie Bristol says that your area code is actually Denver. Actually, uh, well, this is the Colorado. Yeah, I got my cell phone while I was in Colorado. I see. So, okay. So, you just, are you, so you're a recent transplant to Portland? About nine months ago. Okay. Just, just checking. All right. So, uh, so if I may ask, did you, uh, did you spend uh, a little, a lot, or an unbelievable amount on that broadcasting degree? Um, a lot. A lot. How do you feel that, uh, that worked out for you? Not bad at all. So, um, you, you worked at Crystal 93 in Dillon, Colorado. Tell me a little bit about Crystal 93. Well, it was an adult alternative station. I was the weekend morning guy. Mm-hmm. So I got up at a ridiculously early time, went into the studio, put together weather, traffic, ski reports, loaded those all into the computer, and then uh, went on the air and played those, you know, now, were you doing, one every 20 minutes. Now, were you, doing, uh, were you doing live? Were you a live DJ or you were, there, were you there just playing voice tracks? Uh, I was live. Okay, live DJ. All right. Uh, please now to give me two of the artists who were sort of your uh, your core performers there in the adult alternative format. Well, uh, U2 would be probably the biggest one. We played a U2 song about every eight minutes. Okay. And probably the Dave Matthews band. Now, are you looking to get back on the air at some point, or are you looking to be in sales? In other words, if when you are applying for this sales gig, is this a sort of a mechanism to get in the door because you eventually would like to be on the air? Uh, not really. Uh-huh. I I also got a second degree from Marquette University in communication studies. I wrote my senior thesis on retail persuasion. All right, excellent. Uh, uh, so when you say you have no fear of cold calls, is this a thing you've done in the past? Uh, yeah, right. I've had some bad jobs in college. All right, so what did you cold call before? I worked for a company that tried to sell sports packages to companies. Uh-huh. What do you mean a sports package? Uh take your employees out to the Milwaukee Brewers game on Thursday nights. What was your opening line? Um, well, after pleasantries, of course. You know, how you doing, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, it was, you know, depending on what kind of company I was calling, you know, kind of looked into the demographics of you know, the company I was trying to sell to, but something like, um, are you looking for a way to give your employees a break? All right. What was or, your... What would yeah. your opening line be to someone that you were calling about the possibility of advertising on AM 970? Let's see. Um, you know, after pleasantries, uh, are you looking for a way to better reach your demographic? And then the guy says, I don't know, are you trying to sell me something? Uh, I'd say, yes, sir. I have a great advertising opportunity for you. Uh, AM 970, part of the great family of CBS Radio. Um, has some slots open for advertising. Uh, is that that station with uh, that guy? I don't know what guy you're referring to, but they have many talented DJs, all of whom have, um, all of whom are inside of your demographic, the right. demographic you're trying to sell your product to. All right then, uh, let me ask you this, Steve. What is your favorite Madonna song? I don't know. Maybe uh, Holiday. Holiday? Okay, that's it. Nobody said that. Thank you for not saying like a virgin, by the way. All right. Yeah. <laughs> all right, Steve, I'm going to put you on hold. We'll make sure Richie has all your information, and we will be in touch, as they say, one way or the other. Thank you, sir. All right, Richie, make sure we got that guy's contact info. All right, there you go. So we're going to uh, whittle that down to five semifinalists.
uh, they will come on in here, and, and then we'll have three of them uh, go and uh, talk to Michael Bashana. So, uh, Richie Bristol, are you actually in the studio? Yes, All right, can you make sure we got that guy's contact info there? All right, thank you. All right, it's 503-733-2970. Uh, all right, this is now the time. Okay, here's what we're going to do. We will do uh, our Dennis Miller uh, giveaway here, our attempted giveaway. Then we will talk to Richie Bristol. Uh, and we'll have uh, we'll have a little bit of 20 questions here to try to uh, try to guess at what Richie Bristol is going to be applying for job wise later today. We'll talk to Chris Paddock a bit about Mad Men, we'll break Tim Riley, uh, top five uh, and so forth. All right, it's 503-733-2970. As you uh, may or may not know, it's not the Dexter music. What is the music I'm looking for here? Hold on a second. I pulled up some. I created some music just for the. Uh... There we go. It's 503-733-2970. We will now take caller 5 to play SNL Trivia uh, for a pair of tickets to see Dennis Miller this weekend live Saturday night uh, at Spirit Mountain Casino. Live this weekend, Spirit Mountain Casino, Saturday night, Dennis Miller performing live. We will take caller number 5, 503-733-2970. 503-733-2970. 970, and you will have your choice of a trivia question from the early days of SNL or a trivia question from the 80s on SNL. So it's a caller 5 at 503 We'll take caller 5. After that, we'll talk to Richie Bristol, who... Li- so I guess we can say that later on tonight he's going to be... Uh, Interviewing slash auditioning for a job? I believe he's auditioning. Auditioning. Yeah. Uh, and we'll find out a bit more about that. Mm-hmm. Uh, then we will talk Mad Men. Uh, then Tim Riley will have some news. Then we'll have today's top five. Top five songs about Jane. Uh, top five songs about Jane. All right, so I'm unclear about what I'm supposed to be doing. <laughs> I know, I'm just feeling the flashing lights. Should I be taking one of these? Jesus. Best day ever. This music's kind of freaking me out. It is weird. I, could, I couldn't even tell that it was the Jeopardy music. It's ever. kind of tension-inducing. All right. Am I taking line two here? Is line two uh, number five? All right. Welcome now to the Rick Emerson Show. Caller five. Hello, sir or madam, as the case may be. Hello. How are you? I'm well. How are you? I am fantabulous. All right. Are you uh, ready, willing, and able to see Dennis Miller this coming Saturday at Spirit Mountain Casino? Should you be the lucky winner of the ticket, sir? Yes, sir. All right. You have your choice here. Do you wish to play SNL trivia from the 80s or SNL trivia from the early days? I will go with the 80s. You'll go with the 80s. All right, my friend. Uh, uh, let's see. Let me make. Uh, let me just see here. All right. I hold here in my hands the question. Give it to me. Joe Piscopo and Robin Duke portrayed a couple who complained about everything. The name of the characters were Doug and Wendy Blank. Weiner. Weiner is the answer. Well done, sir. Look at you. Joe Piscopo and Robin Duke played a couple who complained about everything. The names of the characters were Doug and Wendy Weiner. We had a reservation. All right, excellent, my friend. You are going to see Dennis Miller this coming. I didn't expect anybody to get that one. For some reason, I thought that would be a little bit more of a niche question. So you are going to see Dennis Miller this coming Saturday at Spirit Mountain Casino. I'm going to put you on with Richie Bristol, who will get your information. Congratulations, sir. 
Thanks for it. All right, there you go. <laughs> he sounded really excited. He sounded legitimately into yeah. it. All right, fantastic. Uh, Richard Bristol? have cool things and people who like deserve them. Well, whatever. because otherwise it's just some douche going like, oh, no, but I guess I can sell them on Craigslist mm. or whatever. So, all right, fantastic. We will do another pair of those uh, tomorrow. All right, it's 503-733-2970, 503-733-2970, and let me just see. Without uh, further ado, where the hell is my... Uh, that was my Richie Bristol music here. Oh, and apparently Entourage, by the way, started last night. And I don't know H- freaking out about it. Well, see, now I have HBO because uh, we got the cable uh, ratcheted down, and now the cable's back to sort of where basically I now have everything I used to have uh, except HBO. Uh, so now I'm not able. Uh, no, no, I don't. I should as a CBS. You know, as a CBS employee, they ought to give me a discount on that. Because that is a proud part of the CBS family, the Showtime Network. So it seems like they ought to be uh, cutting me a little uh, financial slack on that, but, you know, who's to say? Um, so, anyway, so, so Dexter, I guess, starts uh, soon. Uh, Entourage started last night. And then Richie's saying something called True Blood started, but I don't even really know what that is. So, anyway, I'm going to try to catch up. I'll have to figure out some, I'll have to figure out some way to watch Entourage because it's... I just, I, I mean, don't get me wrong. I mean, I love cable and I love uh, television and I love just wading hip deep into the popular culture of this great nation. But I really don't know. I mean, HBO is like an additional like $21 or $19 or something. And I just, uh, I, I don't really know that it's going to be worth my while uh, I've financially. I've so long since I've had cable. Like, it just seems, the price of it seems ridiculous. Well, see, and to me... See, and I'm I'm actually okay with it because I mean it's like 500 channels. I mean it's like hot and cold no, I, running I, I'm entertainment. I'm jealous of anyone who does have it. I go and switch off with my friends all the time. Yeah, it's just uh, the additional cost uh, to get HBO is just sort of it's. I think it's disproportionate to me. All right, let's welcome now to the Rick Emerson Show our intrepid PA, the one and only uh, Richie Bristol. Hello, sir. How are you today? Hello. How are you doing? I am fantastic. Are you prepping for your big job interview? Yes, I am. All right. Um. All right. So we have here. I think do we have a uh, do we have a copy of the bodyguard that we can give away for this? I think so. All right. Uh, so it is now that time in the Rick Emerson show. We will play uh, twenty questions. We're going to do two uh, two giveaways in a row here. Uh, we will play twenty questions for a copy of the bodyguard double feature DVD. Uh, it is the bodyguard and the bodyguard two starring Tony Jaa on DVD in stores now separately or as a double feature. From Magnolia Home Entertainment, I'm hanging up on whoever's on hold. My apologies, sir and madam, and all of that. All right, dude. Uh, we're going to take caller number five right now. We will do uh, one more bit of contesting here before we talk Mad Men. We'll take caller number five at 503-733-2970. 503-733-2970. We're going to play uh, Richie Bristol 20 questions for this copy of The Bodyguard and The Bodyguard 2, starring Tony Jaa on DVD, in stores now separately, or as a double feature from Magnolia Home Entertainment. So let's say first and foremost... Um, the, the, for many reasons, most of which will be obvious, uh, we're not going to identify the establishment, the business, the uh, the company, the corporation, any of that, right? Nope. All right. Um, so I won't say anything more about it. Uh-huh. We'll uh, we'll let the people sort of do their twenty questions here in just one second, and then uh, I don't know. We will endeavor to because I know what it is. Sarah knows and Tim knows. Uh-huh. Uh huh. And so we'll uh, we'll see if anybody else can figure it out, and we'll we'll go to the people on this because they're. Because our 20-question uh, playing ability on the show is not all that great. So, all right, it's uh, we're looking for caller five. Hello, your caller one. Hi, caller two. Sorry, caller three. It's very unpleasant. I, I'm sad for you. Uh, <laughs> caller uh, four. You've uh, you've won nothing but frustration. All right. Hi, Rick Emerson. Show. Uh, you are caller five. How are you today? I'm good. All right. Are you ready to play 20 questions with Richie Bristol? 
sure. All right. You are playing for a copy of The Bodyguard of the Bodyguard 2 on DVD. You get 20 questions. We will not identify the business, but you get 20 questions in which you must guess. Let's put it this way. You must guess the job, the position for which Richie Bristol is interviewing, auditioning tonight. All right. Begin whenever you'd like, sir. Oh, boy. Uh, do you have to wear a uniform for this? No. Uh, let's see. What hours will you be working? Uh, evening hours or daytime? Well, not 11 to 3. It wouldn't be during, <laughs> it would not be during this show, obviously. This would be a suppl supplemental job only. Uh, let's see. Does it involve alcohol? Yes. Really? Well, well, I guess, sort of. All right. Uh, are you mixing alcohol or selling? No. I'm not selling. Uh, you Are you going to be a waiter? No. Okay. You auditioned <laughs> for it, so. Oh, you're auditioning this for it. This is tonight. Richie Bristol will be auditioning for a job. Oh, uh, let's see. Are you uh, alcohol tester? <laughs> no. I, I think I'm out of questions. I, really? I'm, I'm, I'm going brain dead here. See, you said that I was bad at 20 questions. I don't, I don't, I don't need to throw you under the bus, dude. <laughs> All right, now here's the thing. Now, if you really want to give up, if you really want to give up, you can give up. And what I will do is I will turn your 14 questions uh, over to the next person on the phone who has been listening. Uh, yeah, go ahead. Give, give it to somebody else. All I'm right. running out of questions. Thanks, Thanks though. Thank you, sir. All right. Hi, you're next up. Have you been listening? Hello. Hi. Yes, it is you, sir. All right. Uh, so the last person has yielded the floor to you. The Bodyguard DVD is now yours to win or lose. You have 14 questions. Okay. Do you dress like a girl to do this job? <laughs> <laughs> no, but I can. No. 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 Uh, um, does it require you entertain other people? Yes. So, semi, yes. Um... Are you playing music or for other people? Yes. Are you DJing? Yes. Is it <clears throat> DJing at a club or is it like individual parties? Not individual parties. So you're a DJ at some club? Yes. Close. Very blank DJ. You have nine <laughs> questions left, sir. A blank DJ? Or a blank club. You have a... Uh... Uh, strip club DJ. <laughs> really? Sorry. Did you really just say a blank club, Richie? <laughs> All right, yes. Congratulations, sir. Tonight, Richie Bristol is auditioning for the job of... Why don't you just go to his house and hand him the prize? Uh, yeah, congratulations, my friend. You want a copy of The Bodyguard and Bodyguard 2 double feature on DVD. Richie Bristol tonight is auditioning for the job of strip club DJ. All right. Can you tell us what club it is so we can all. Uh, no, on. we will not. We will not be identifying <laughs> the club A uh, because we don't want people to go by and sort of uh, get all up in his business while he's trying to audition. And B, uh, see the previous conversation that we had earlier yeah, today yeah, about not people. being able to pimp outside stuff. So I'm going right. to put you on hold. Rich, you'll get your information. Congratulations, sir. There you go. All right, fantastic. It might be on the marquee. Tonight, tonight, uh, tonight, Shantice, Jade, and Richie Bristol. <laughs> and Rochelle. All right. Uh, all right. Uh, so there you go. Well, we'll talk to Richie Bristol a little bit more about that later on in the show. Uh, and we'll have him. You know what we should do is we should find um, we should find some really bad uh, music that would be played at strip club and make him sort of introduce the song. Mm -hmm. And we should have him do the sort of fictitious, uh, you know, the promotion of like some girls that would be coming up. 
You know, put your hands together for Jasmine. This is the job that Richie was born to do. It really is. I mean, I have to say that it's playing to all of his strengths. All right. Uh, in just a few moments, we will talk to Chris Paddock uh, from Rock 101, KUFO, who wants to give us a few additional thoughts on last night's uh, installment of Mad Men. Uh, so he will join us in the studio. Uh, we'll have more from Tim Riley, the Ministry of Truth. Uh, and then we'll have today's top five, top five Jane songs. Uh, and take a break, kind of uh, giving and taken care of. All right, take a break. Back after this, Tim Riley, Chris Paddock, the top five, and Richie Bristol as strip club DJ. Stay there. Back after this. It looks like you got a mouthful of chaw. It's so gross. Sarah's eating this protein bar, this like energy bar that she bought. It's a dollar at the Plaid Pantry. When something at the Plaid Pantry's been discounted by like 75 percent. I, I got it at a supermarket. Yeah. To be fair. Uh huh. Yeah, it's like eating chalk, isn't it? Chocolatey it's chalk. It's really gross. Yeah. But you're gonna need that energy to ride home because like a blast furnace out there at 88 degrees. Oh jeez. Um, so do we ever uh, confirm that business of the Max stopped him? No, we don't. We just an unconfirmed report. Should I repeat it on the air? Sure, go ahead. So we have an unconfirmed report that there's a dead body at the library Max stop. Mm-hmm. Hey, now. What's the library Max stop? You know, the Max stop at the library. Actually, it doesn't stop at the library. It's a couple blocks down from the Yeah, it is the Max stop that is on the street, which is, what, 10th? Something like that? Yeah, something By the goodwill there. Uh, oh, okay, so uh, okay. apparently, at the max stop by the library, uh, we have uh, unconfirmed reports. We should con- uh, we should uh, th- repeat that unconfirmed reports yes. that there's a dead body. Uh, so, and Tim's immediate reaction was not, "Oh, the loss of life, the humanity." Tim's immediate reaction was, "Oh, my my commute's gonna be screwed." Uh, <laughs> yes, it will, Tim. Yes, it will. Uh, all right, we'll uh, talk a little bit Madman here in, in a few. Uh, we'll have Richie Bristol uh, try his hand at strip club DJing. If there's time, uh, we'll do the top five Jane songs. This, however, is Tim Riley. And now, though, from the Ministry of Truth, this is Tim Riley. Well, not that it makes any difference at this point, but the president, I think his name is Bush, has said that uh, by the end of the year, he'll bring home 8,000 combat and support troops. So, it doesn't really count for much, but... Thank goodness, at least to bring some of them home. A Vancouver man has been arrested on accusations he posed as a security guard and scammed customers at the Wells Fargo. 20-year-old Sterling Hooten turned himself into Washington County uh, jail authorities. They say he and a man made off with a large amount of money, like hundreds of dollars, by standing outside the night deposit box August 15th and persuaded people to hand over the money. They'll make the deposit for them. Now, they looked kind of official. They had... Uh, uh, guard uniforms on. They had badges, cards, and guns. So uh, people in the suburbs being as trusting as they were, and they really shouldn't. I never would have worked in my neighborhood. Uh, handed over the money to these fake security guards who took off with it. So one guy is still on the loose, and they have uh, they do have this guy in custody. Well, Yankee ingenuity is what that is, Tim. That is. It's uh, rather ingenious. Time for Bush Watch. <gasps> no! Yeah! Awesome! Here's your bush watch. The president's kind of in charge. He's got the whole country staying. That's my bush. Life is hard. That's the price of fame. When you're president, everyone knows your name. Hey, what's that there? That's my bush. I can't believe he's actually in the White House. That's our man! You know, we gotta use these while we can. That's my bush. Sooner rather than later, this will uh, this will be an outdated watch. Russell Brand calls George Bush a retard at the MTV Awards. 
If his aim was to be noticed by America, Russell Brand more than achieved his goal last night as he ranted that President Bush was a retarded cowboy while hosting the MTV Awards. The British comedian, who is a virtual unknown in America, uh, apparently uh, left the music world stunned as he championed Barack Obama, ran down George Bush and made lewd jokes about the Christian pop band jo- Jonas Brothers. Are they Christian pop? I guess they are. Oh, they, they all wear uh, promise rings or purity rings or whatever the hell. What are those rings? Purity rings. Yeah. Whatever. Uh, some people say, uh, <laughs> I think they call it racist, say America is not ready for a black president. But I know America is a forward-thinking country because otherwise, why would they have let that retard and cowboy if I be president for eight years? We were very impressed. We thought it was nice of you to uh, let him have a go because in England, he would have been trusted with a pair of scissors. <laughs> <laughs> Members of the studio audience, including Britney Spears, who was making a much hyped comeback appearance, and Hannah Montana star Miley Cyrus look horrified at Brand's jokes. Oh, whatever, shut it. All right. Uh, so Bush's last day is what? Uh, January twentieth. I mean, he gets you know he gets voted out one way or the other, you know, or whatever. His term lapses in November, and, but and they... he claims to bring down, bring home eight hundred uh, eight thousand troops before he does that. All right. So, well, which is interesting. Well, never mind. I'm not even gonna talk about it. Uh, there you go. There's your Bush watch for uh, Monday. Monday. He's the president in residence. He's kind of in charge. He's got the whole country staying. All right. Uh, Chris Paddock, if you would. Uh, Chris Paddock, join us here in the studio. All right. We got a whole bunch of stuff. So we'll talk a little bit of Mad Men. And then we will probably have Richie Bristol uh, try his hand at uh, doing a little bit of a strip club DJing. Uh, the top five Jane songs, we may end up doing those tomorrow. And oh, I a- hope Martika's is on that list. And once again, well, let me just say, once again, I failed to do that thing I was going to do where I'm moving it to the 1 o'clock hour. So, the top five? Yeah, so let me just make a note here. 1 p.m. So tomorrow, we're going to try moving the top five to the 1 p.m. Because the top five is like a... You know, it's it's like a, it's, it's like an abandoned uh, it's like an abandoned it's like a mistreated child. You know, it's the uh, it's like the illegitimate ch- it's like a bastard at a family reunion, uh, and it just uh, you know it always gets left behind. I feel bad about that. Chris Paddock, program director, Rock 101, KUFO, probably Rockfest this coming Friday. Friday tickets on sale now. Yes. Yes. Right. Go get them. Uh, and Rev Run is coming. I guess along he is. with Kid Rock. Yeah. Uh, I can I tell you, I was already going to go. You know, because yeah. A team player. B yeah. love Kid Rock. Love but it. the idea that uh, Rev Run is going to be there is just I mean that's icing on the cake. And I'm going to say this was a pretty rough MTV Video Music Awards. I, I didn't see it. Oh, it was it was bad. I mean, I didn't even remember. Yeah. I think A it's because I'm so far out of the demo, and B because MTV no longer has the monopoly on cool that they yeah. used to. I mean, I remember when it was there was it was sort of a bell curve where when you you know the first VMAs. Yeah, really, real ragtag. Nobody really cared. And then that Midler and Dan Aykroyd were the hosts. Is that true? Yes. And then we reached a point where the VMAs actually eclipsed all the other award shows. And now we've, at least from my perspective, gotten back to the point where I kind of forget that they're even happening because there's so many award shows. It's like when uh, Mac Davis hosted the American Music Awards back in the 70s. Good for the Mac Davis reference. Thank you. I figured you'd appreciate it. Hard to be humble. I think he is. Was he the one that We're waiting for that North Dallas 40 reunion. Who was the who was the saying Louisiana woman Mississippi man was that him? That, that was Conway Twitty. Yeah. No, yeah, that's, that's North too, Dallas yeah. Forty. <laughs> that's too country. No, I have a. Uh, He's saying baby, baby, don't get hooked on me. Oh, that's a good one. And uh, now, and it's hard to be hard humble. To be humble. Yeah. yeah, I have that forty-five. And I've got, uh, I believe in music. Oh yeah. 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 Seventy schlock. Yeah. Hold Boy, it was, you know what else? You know, I got at home. I was looking through my forty-fives the other day, actually, on RCA Records with that rainbow uh, label. No, MCA. MCA, MCA rainbow, Records. Yeah. It's. Uh, it is John Conley. It's John Conley or Rose John Anderson. Glasses? No, no, no. It's John Anderson. And the flip side of Swingin' <laughs> is, in fact, a cover of Busted, the Ray Charles classic. 
It's like the worst thing you've ever wow. heard. Wow. Yeah. That sounds awful. Let's talk about Mad Men last night. So oh, Tim wow. and I had some initial thoughts on it. I know you've you've there, got some additional love. There was a scene that left my wife and I speechless, and I couldn't believe it. It, it, it maybe left you, Tim Riley, the same way. Uh, they are picnicking, the family, the Draper family is picnicking outside. It's very bucolic. It's very lovely. And then um, Don Draper finishes off whatever Olympia beer or whatever he was guzzling and then tosses the can just out there into the uh, yeah. wide open, and then they collected their blanket and other whatever that they needed to take with them, and they left all their trash. And he didn't even toss it. He does he, the full like he, major he league baseball. It. Yeah, like yeah. he was opening up the season. Like I think they threw it in the lake. Yeah, uh, it's funny because I was as I always do immediately going to message boards afterward to see what everybody That's what I do. Everybody else thought about it. Maybe you guys talked to each other on the message board and you didn't know it because you're under your aliases. Let me ask you this. Wow, yeah, this no. is starting to get weird. I want to ask you a question, Chris Paddock, right. and I want you to be honest. Do you have uh, a? Do, have you ever posted it? Ain't it cool? No. Okay, okay I did. Yeah, but do you remember? Well, was, do you remember? You don't have to say it, but do you remember uh, what your username was, was? I think it was the Moby. All right, the Moby. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Why is that because your username? Because my it, people said it looked like Moby. That's unfortunate. It's not. It's, it has nothing to do it with like anything. A funky else. number at the end of it too. Is it like Moby seventy. No, it's not. <laughs> really, the Moby was available. It was. That's hard to believe. I know. Um, it was early in the internet era. What's that thing where it's like you register, you know, where you, you log in or you get it, you know, you register there just because you want to make one specific comment about something or other. Yeah. Uh, so, and I've done that too. Okay. Uh, uh, but, um, but anyway, so I went there a lot. I went to Ain't It Cool last night. I'm reading the Mad Men, uh, talk back and several people said that they remember being in that era and it was the same thing that littering in America was not a real concern yeah. until the sort of crying Indian uh, thing in the 70s. I was waiting when they had that long pan there. They just yeah. kind of lingered on the trash. Yeah. I was waiting for the Indian to show up with the tear in his ironized Cody. But it is sort of, you know, it's one of those things in America that I think wasn't really part of the consciousness until the 70s, the, you know, the great sort of environmental right. awareness. So, yeah, it's when the Archies started doing ecology drives in the comics, totally. uh, if, I, if I recall. You know, and it just how, like, there was a certain time in American history when something being a natural food was not a plus. Right. Like, if you wanted it coming out of a lab, That's like, some, better yeah. than homemade. Food additives. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, people that uh, were running organic food stores probably were seen as freaks. Speaking of which, and Tim and I have talked about this, whatever happened happened to that woman who lived on the street who was divorced with the weird kid? She's just gone. Oh, they kind of dropped that subplot, didn't they? And whatever happened to the woman he was having an affair with at the competing department store? Oh, Rachel Menken. She yeah. no, she got married. And, yes. Oh, that's correct. A couple weeks ago, she showed up and she was married to, uh, you know, Myron somebody or other. Yes. Uh, and then I'm waiting for the beatnik to come back. The, the beatnik girl, girl I loved weed her. With. Boy, I liked her a lot. Yeah, I did she too. Was, she was re- sexy. And boy, you know, that sequence, that episode where he was off smoking uh, weed at the beatnik girlfriend's apartment had so many great... That was the, the episode that gave us two great lines. There were two great lines from there. Actually, three. Okay. That was an episode where Peggy did some copywriting stuff, and what the, one of the AEs says, it was like watching a dog play the piano. Uh, there was also where one of the AEs is looking at one of the uh, sales, you know, one of the, one of the girls in the office, and Joan Holloway says, I bet you wish you could pour that into a glass and drink it. Oh, yeah. And that episode, and I've remembered all three quotes because it was one of the best written episodes of that series, which is already itself, you know, pretty high bar. And it's where the hippie idiot beatnik boyfriend is talking to Don Draper. Oh, yeah. And he says, you know, what do you do? And Don Draper goes, I'm in advertising. And the beatnik says, how do you sleep at night? And Don Draper says, on a bed made out of money. Mm -hmm. Which is like, you want to go, oh, take that, beatnik. Well, don't don't we have the Emmys on Sunday? Isn't this the big night for Mad Men next Sunday night? I I don't know. I think. Tim? 
I don't I know. I think it is, I and think I think this could be the big moment, kind of a a, a crowning seriously. Uh, but you know, coronation. If they, if they turn this into like another wire thing where that guy just gets shafted every year, I'm oh, just gonna I have not. to I'm gonna pull up my eyeballs. God, I protest. hope not. I mean, it just you know, no, but what it has sixty nominations. Sixty? Oh, sixteen. Oh, sixteen. Oh, wow. Sixteen. Okay. Like they don't have enough categories. <laughs> <laughs> they created new categories. <laughs> and in the category of best show that is Mad Men, the Emmy goes to. But then it would like still go to Scrubs or something. <laughs> Uh, I was going to say CSI. Boy, what is your take, you guys, on that, uh, on Mad Men, the, the sort of young 20-something creative guys they brought in, this sort of new wave, the youth? I, the, the one guy's German, right? Yeah. And don't, I don't know, I thought for a minute that they were a couple. Are they being made fun of? Are they comic relief? Or is that the changing of the guard? Or is it... Is it that they're being they're there to be sort of ridiculed? I can't quite I, tell. I think, I think there's a little bit of the changing of the guard because they do talk about the different approach to selling that coffee, for instance, in the right. episode last night where it's people don't want to be told what to, you know. We just want to be. Yeah. Yeah. But, but that sounds like an old generation X thing. Totally. Doesn't yeah. It? No, yeah, it, it does. does. Very totally. much that, you know, we don't want to be told. We want to discover. Um, that's That was great. And then how about the tension of the dinner scene? Oh, dude. With uh, with uh, Salvatore and uh, uh, I mean, just well, there, there was a couple dinner scenes that were pretty tense, but uh, well, there's that sequence where yeah, Salvatore, who is such a compelling character anyway, and his I didn't even know he was married. Like yeah, who knew that guy had a wife? He's married. When did that happen? Well, I th- I saw them watching the Jackie Kennedy tour of the White House. But see, I thought it was just like a female yeah. friend of his. Okay, I figured it was he was. In the opinion of uh, probably most observers, he is a closeted gay man, and I sort of figured. That was like like his spinster sidekick, you know. Oh, yeah, right. Okay. You know, like a sort of sisterly relationship he has with some girl, and they hang out together because she can't get a man, and he obviously is single. And but then they have this dinner sequence with Ken Cosgrove, and you know they're playing it real close to the vest about Ken Cosgrove, who does very seem very aggressively uh, hetero. I mean, really, like in the sleaziest, creepiest sales guy sense the worst. of the word. Yeah, I mean, just a just a dog. But man, it's just so awkward. You're watching that, and when you're watching Salvatore's wife. Watching him, watching Ken Cosgrove, and it's like I. So I made a note to myself last night that that show I kept doing three things: cringing, flinching, and then exhaling when scenes were over. Like when Ken finally leaves, I'm like, ah, it's over. This is so stressful yeah, to watch. Have, you know, they got to have dessert and coffee. Yeah. They want to stay. And then, and then there's that weird scene where he's just lingering. They're watching. He's watching TV. He's lighting that cigarette yeah, with Ken's lighter. With Ken's lighter. And I think his mom is passed out on the couch yeah. next to his wife, and it just looks really it's depressing. All very, yeah, just, just. Uh, and so then, much dysfunction. And then, of course, all the Jimmy Barrett stuff where he confronts Don. And I actually did a what we call now the Mick, the Jack Osborne McRib is back gasp when when Jimmy Barrett says, so what do you think happened between those two to, to Betty Draper? Oh. And I literally, I was in, and I kind of, I was, I think I was eating something last night and I went, and I paused, fork halfway to my mouth and put it that back down on the plate. And I was, it was, it was just so Sucking unbelievably here. tense. So unbelievable that uh, it scared my dog. Yeah. Because we don't yeah, it yeah. was you know, uh, and then the and then you know and then that he would confront Don about it that way. It was very great. So gripping. good, but how great was that ending too? Yeah. Uh, she pukes on herself in the yeah. brand new car, <laughs> and then it just goes to black. I'm surprised though that Don didn't flat out just deny it because he's such a strong male figure. I'm surprised that Don didn't say, "Look, I don't know what you've been told. Didn't happen. I don't know who's selling you that bill of goods, but that wouldn't care." For a guy that sort of lies professionally, he yeah. did a very poor job of uh, yeah. of hiding his uh, his yeah. hand there. So. And uh, by the way, what a satisfatisfying night of television because I had that and then Entourage, two shows I that I, I, I wish HBO. did not end.
by yeah. the way. They were so entertaining. So Entourage is good. I felt they kind of fell off at the end of last season. I felt so, too. I feel like it's right. back. Tim Riley, greatest newsman in the history of the world. Back at 4, 5, 6, and 7. Uh, top of the hour all the way through like us. All right. Uh, should we have Richie come in now, or do you want to get this uh, break? Or, uh, what should we do? Why don't we get the last break out of the way? Now? All right. Take a break. We'll come back. Richie Bristol will try his hand at strip club DJing uh, in preparation for his audition tonight at one of the local declothing establishments here in Portland. All right. It's 503-733-2970. Back after this. We now enter the saddest part of the broadcasting day, the final segment of the Rick Emerson Show. Like us at 3, Mike O'Mara's show at 7. Join us tomorrow when our guests will include, I think, Nina Parker from PMZ. Yes. Excellent. Fantastic. Hello, Richie Bristol. Hello. All right. So tonight you are auditioning uh, for the gig of Strip Club DJ. Right. Uh, that's so awesome. How, are you going to be talking and playing music? Yes. I was going to say, how did this fall into your lap? But that's an unpleasant pun. How did you How did this? How'd you get this, this audition lined up? Uh, I just surf around the Internet and look and see, you know what was available and then right did you play the cbs card no really not really did you play the radio not card really, but it... no did they know who you were maybe all right but you didn't say like i have a lot of radio experience uh-uh. all right fair enough okay uh so what is what is the audition consistent like how long what are you going to be doing uh introducing the next girls and but i mean for how long like one set an hour three hours i have no clue do you get paid for tonight no it's an audition to see if i get the job how long how long is the audition uh, well, I know he's setting up one every hour. All right, so, you probably, three of them, so you'll so. probably DJ for maybe an hour, the better part of an hour. Yeah. Have you ever been a strip club DJ before? Nope. Haven't Tim been a strip club DJ? Tim said he was for one night. Yeah. yeah. Hollywood. Yeah, which is like got to be the worst thing ever. All right. Yeah. So um, now you're going to give it a little whirl here? Sure. All right, here's the thing. We're, we're just going to throw some music underneath you, and I need you now to do your best strip club uh, DJ impression. Okay. All right. <clears throat> Are you ready? All right, ladies and gentlemen, uh, Richie Bristol as strip club DJ. Go. Oh, we heard music. All right, put your hands together and make some noise for these lovely ladies. This is the final song of three uh, after the song, available for intimate private dances at Emerson's Cafe. Pockets in your... Oh, no. Did you just dump me? Hands out of your pockets and into your wallets. These girls do work for tips. They're making their way through college, so contribute to those fun. Free drinks and free food every night with Richie at Emerson's Cafe. Yes, I did believe that. In what world did you think you could say that? Um, all right. Uh, uh, the stripping world. Yeah, I, I don't know. You gotta. Should we do, do another one? Should we do one more song? You gotta. You gotta. Uh, no, no, no. Hold on. You just, just hold on. Uh, now, let me <laughs> let me just show you how it's done. All okay, right. You want okay. you want to roll that? I don't even. I'm just gonna freestyle this here. Okay. Oh really? All right. Hey guys, thanks for coming on out tonight. Is everybody having a good time? Yeah. Woo! Well, we're gonna make a good time even better. You see, 15. That's right, 15 lovely ladies making their way toward the stage. Don't forget, if there's a lady that strikes your fancy, she could tickle your fancy and something else later on in one of our private rooms. That's right, guys. These girls are here to make you happy. You're good. Keep going. Oh my Keep God, going. you're way too good at that. Yeah, you're, maybe you should do it. So up on the main stage right now, why everybody make some noise for Amber. Amber. All right, there you go. Blah, blah, blah. There you go. Cheers. Wow. Dude, it's all about uh, you, you You put your voice in the roof of your mouth. Hey, do a lot of inflections. Do a lot of inflections. And then drag out your vowel sounds. You all the time in the hallway. You're like, oh, my God, I'm filing my nails. So you incorporate more vowels. <laughs> <laughs> Say that, too. No, no, no. And, no, elongate your vowels, too. All right. 
for Amber. All right, next on main stage. There you go. Yeah, That's it right yeah, there. Yes, yes. Every vowel okay. syllable should become three. Okay. All right, Longer. You. Thank you very much. Uh, we want to thank Cena. Good luck. We want to thank Cena Radio Correspondent Steve Kastenbaum, Bob Costantini, and James Roop. Uh, Rick Emerson, show produced today and every day by the lovely and talented Sarah X. Dillon for AM 970, the talker. Newsroom Tim Riley and the phones Richard Bristol, the gatekeepers, Dave's in, the webmistress Bridget from upstairs, CBS Radio Portland marketing guru Susan, don't F with me, Reynolds, and director of engineering Brian Jones. Uh, like us next, Michael Mara Show at 7. See you all tomorrow at 10 for the recap, 11 for the show. Thanks for listening. Be safe. Watch out for snakes. Bye now.